Uh, well, today. Ooh. Okay. Um. <laughs> so. Uh, um. <laughs> I gotta get in the mood here. Um. All right. So. <laughs> I'm just. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Welcome to episode 23 of the Triple P, the Plastic Posse Podcast. My name is Scott Gentry, and I'm joined by the Posse, John Bonani, TJ Holler, and Doug Smith. So, John, what's up with you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's uh, been really busy here with work, finding time to carve some out at the bench. And I have Tamiya's new Cat and Crad, which is absolutely fantastic. I've posted a little bit online. I recommend everyone go buy it. Uh, hopefully, I'll finish it up soon. By the time this episode drops, it should be finished. Yeah, it's an awesome little kid. Best 30 bucks you're going to spend. Oh, so. for sure. TJ, what you been up to? Finishing kits, like I like to do. Uh, I actually, I think since the, the last episode, I've finished two kits. I finished the Border Model Crusader 3, which was awesome. I really liked it. And I finished uh, Tamiya's little 148 scale T3485. And I finished that in like four days, maybe, maybe like three and a half. That was also really fun. You're getting some love from ammo on that build. Yeah, I did. That was pretty cool. I used, I finished it with the uh, 4BO solution box, uh, but I supplemented it. I added some stuff because it's one of their mini boxes, so there's not a whole lot in there. That's a great build, especially for one that only just took you literally three or four days. It was a slammer build. It really, I mean, it really was. I put it, I think I built it in one day, in a night. Uh, maybe every, maybe everything except for the tracks. I did that the next day and then that was it. Hashtag JB, hashtag slammer build. <laughs> yeah. My man, Doug, what you been up to? Well, other than trying to keep my uh, yard from going up in smoke because it's so freaking hot here, <laughs> um, I actually got working on the, I, I kind of put the Millennium Falcon to the side because we have these open-ended group builds and I haven't been doing my part. So I, I pulled the T-34 out and I've been kind of fiddling with that. I got the turret uh, assembled and some some texturing on it. And then I put the part that you mount the gun to looks like a Lego piece kind of, and it's kind of offset. I put it on backwards. <laughs> so huh, I'll figure it out. That that shouldn't be too hard. Once the uh, shroud goes over it, I can, I can make it go in there. There's no shame in putting things on backwards. I've, no. I've, I think everyone knows that I love Sherman's. I think I've made that very clear. That's my favorite tank. I have put pieces on the transmission backwards, like the ones that hold the sprockets. I put those on backwards, not even thinking about it just because I got in a hurry and wasn't paying attention. And just to clarify, I wasn't chuckling at Doug because he put it on backwards. I was chuckling because he described the mantlet as a Lego piece, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> well, you all are the armor guys, and I don't know terminology, so I throw out what I see. And and in the instructions, I think that piece is colored orange on the instructions, so it looks like a Lego piece. <laughs> I've seen a couple pictures, Doug. It's looking great. So another one, hopefully, to uh, bring with all of our other models down to IPMS Nats for our group display. 
Yeah, how are you, Scott? Um, I am doing good. What I've been working on as far as my modeling goes is photography, and I keep thinking I've got all my roadblocks out of the way, but I don't, but I'm almost there. I'm just waiting for a cable to download the uh, shots out of my camera and also a card reader. Got my background now. I've got my my LED lights, which are fantastic. I picked up some on Amazon and they're really great. So I'm, I'm almost there. So feeling pretty good about that. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. So I have a card reader, but I don't use it. I just plug my camera directly to my computer and Lightroom can pull it from my, my uh, camera. Yeah, I figured with all with all those raw files, a, a cable was the way to go. So that's what I ordered, rather than doing it over the Wi-Fi, which probably would take like you know a really really long time. Oh so. no, yeah, mine's not Wi-Fi. I just I plug it directly in, but I don't use like I have a separate card reader. I just don't use it because it takes like forty five seconds to take the card out and put it into the card reader, and that's time. I just I can't I can't afford to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I will never get back. The Plastic Pussy Podcast is sponsored by Goodman Models, makers of the super sanding blocks. These blocks are a staple on our benches. They are terrific for controlled, precise sanding. You need to get yourself a set of these, and you can get those over at www.goodmanmodels.com. In addition to Goodman Models, the Plastic Pussy Podcast now has a new sponsor, Tankcraft. Tankcraft makes the highest quality products for the discerning scale modeler, and we are proud that they are now an official sponsor of the Triple P. So who is Tankcraft? Tankcraft makes beautiful self-healing cutting mats that will take your bench to the next level. Not only do they look amazing, they are made to stand up to your toughest builds. Constructed from heavy-duty laminated 3mm thick PVC, they have excellent self-healing and cut-resistant properties. But the best part is the beautifully rendered blueprint-like drawings of World War II vehicles printed on the front. Up armor your bench by adding a mat with a panther or a tiger in Panzer Gray, or maybe a T-3485 or an M4A3 Sherman in military green. They also come in two sizes, 12 by 18 inches and also 18 by 24 inches. They feature an inch grid and a centimeter border for handy reference as well. Not a tank guy? Not a problem. Tankcraft has you covered with their Aircrafter Series modeler mats. Take your bench to new heights with the mighty P-47D Thunderbolt, P-51D Mustang, or the venerable Spitfire Mark V-B. But wait, there's more. We've got an exclusive offer for Plastic Posse listeners only. If you use the code POSSE15 at checkout, you're going to get a 15% discount. Head on over to tankcraft.com. That's tankcraft, T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T.com, no W-W-W, and order today. Hey, your bench called and it wants a new mat. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm going to order one, 15% off. That's a great deal. I, I don't have one, so I'm pretty stoked. Well, today, the Posse brings you another big scale modeling show. So what's on tap this time around? Well, how about TJ and Scott bring you an awesome interview with Christoph Eichhorn from Austria, aka Traverian Miniatures, award-winning mini painter and techniques teacher from YouTube. If that's not enough, TJ and I bring you a yet another terrific Modeler's Minute interview with our close friend of the posse, Kevin Kelly. Still not enough for you? Well, Mike Rinaldi stops by to discuss what's new with Rinaldi Studio Press and talk scale modeling and modeling shows with us. I loved it. You guys will too. I'd like to remind everyone about our three ongoing group builds, which can be found on Facebook by searching Plastic Posse Podcast Group Build. As a reminder, the themes are TIE Fighters, Rifle Models T-34, 85, and 135th scale, which recently went over 400 members, 
And then our newest build, the Tamiya Edward 148 Spitfire Mark 1 slash 2. So that would be the newer Tamiya kit, and I believe also the newer Edward kit. Which one's newer? I don't remember. Is that Edward kit newer? I think the Edward one is, is newer. They're both good from what I understand. I'm building the Tamiya one. So if you don't have Facebook, that's okay. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, join us using the hashtag, hashtag PPP Spitfire Group Build, hashtag PPP TIE Fighter Group Build, and hashtag PPP T34 Group Build. That being said, we'd like to announce that these group builds will have a soft end date of August 16th, 2021. That's right. That's the Monday before Nats in Las Vegas. If you're planning on attending Nats like we are, bring your completed group build entry so that the posse can see it in person and give us the opportunity to talk to you about it. You might even end up on the show. Just don't leave it in your car in Vegas. Yeah, don't do that at all. They'll, they'll melt. <laughs> they will too. It's it's hot. I used to live there. Episode 23 of the Triple P is sponsored by Terry, Paul, Matt, Ethan, Jamie, Steve, and Rick. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the support. These members of the Plastic Posse use our PayPal.me link to help us out. We really appreciate it. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to help out the Posse, it's really easy. It is. Just go to our website, plasticpossepodcast.com buzzsprout.com in the upper right hand corner of each website page there is a heart icon you just click this icon and you can donate any amount you'd like if you don't want to donate that's okay too you can still support us by taking a few moments to leave us a review wherever you're getting your podcasts from a five-star review will really help the plastic posse get out to more people who are interested in scale modeling podcasts Speaking of podcasts, besides the Plastic Posse, there are other great scale modeling podcasts and social media content providers that we enjoy and we highly recommend. We'll start with On the Bench, Dave, Ian, and Julian. They're on episode 114, talking commission builds and selling built models. Plastic Model Mojo with Mike and Dave, episode 39, discussing goofs, gaffs, and blunders. We don't know anything about those, do we, guys? No, we're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) just making conversation with james and malcolm last episode was all about group builds scale model podcast episode 73 talking industry ups and downs model geeks darren nemo whitey and frildo discuss decals and decals then we've got awesome blog sprue pies with frets with stephen lee which is great stefan ezra bridles warhammer adjacent blog and jim bates a scale canadian tv youtube blog as well i just want to say that um stefan's bl- on his blog well and also i follow him on instagram he is working on the Boer models crusader 3 as well and he's doing like a really interesting khaki and brown like dark brown scheme it's I don't know where he got it from. Frankly, don't care because I'm not one for super stickler, you know, like historical um, camouflage games. But it's really it's it's pretty interesting. It's it's a neat combination of colors that I don't think I've ever seen. So yeah. it looks it looks really good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it looks pretty sharp. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Well, thanks for that, Doug. I know I've been listening to to all of them, and I really appreciate their updates and look forward to them every week. With that, you know, recently we had the opportunity to catch up with Mike Rinaldi and talk about what's new at Rinaldi Studio Press. He has a boatload of stuff going on. He's always engaging, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview that we had with him. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the Plastic Posse podcast interview section. Today we've got 
a friend of the podcast, a great modeler. You guys all know him well, Mike Rinaldi. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Appreciate it. I've also got John and TJ with me. Hello, hello. How you doing? So, uh, Mike, it's been a few months since we talked with you last. Uh, what have you been up to? You've been keeping it been busy? long? God, I feel like I just talked to you the other day. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's this year, uh, I would say, you know, for many of us, 2021 was like a slow roll. You know, that first three months was, was a bit of a hiccup um, coming off of last year. But I'd say, you know, starting in May for me, things have started to pick up work-wise, which is, uh, it took a lot of effort and background to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle into place so that everything fit this time. It's important. I, I have very few opportunities left. I'm a cat. I think I'm on like live eight or, you know, life eight or nine. I'm, I'm at the end of my, my stretch run here of, of the production delay. So, but we're working on some stuff, uh, which is... You know, fortunately for me, it's, it's kind of a, both kind of a rejuvenation of sorts and also just kind of a, a culmination of taking the company where I've always wanted it to go. And it's just finally the pieces are falling into place. Timing's on my side for like the first time in a long time. The printer uh, that we are dealing with in, in the Czech Republic, where they're located, they reprinted Tankart 4 in December. And, uh, you know, this is little stuff. These are little things that, you know, we talk about rubric counting and stuff, but I will rubric count at a production of a book pretty tight and they their print quality was outstanding. I was so happy, but so much other crap was in the way and it just was really hard. And they, they're finally back, back up online. So uh, they're ready to go. They're itching to print. So we have five coming up, plus we have two in stock. So that gives us seven books by, you know, midsummer. And then I just roped them into some really sweet contract deal to say, buy all the paper you can. That's why we're doing it. So those of you who don't know the print world, you, you buy it and you're basically buying plastic pellets for, for making your sprues. It's the same conversation. You're buying paper. And I use all the same paper across the books intentionally. And I just told them, I said, this is the quantities we need. This is what we need to do. And let's just get it done. You know, I said enough effing around and let's just, let's just roll hard. And that was kind of, I'm committed all the way. You know, it's, it's, it's summertime in Portland. Um, well, sort of raining today, but it's, it's coming. So, you know, good weather, you know, time I'm vaccinated so I can do whatever. <laughs> totally cool. Like we're good. <laughs> let's do it. And that's kind of what, what happened was once I got the confirmation and that was what I was waiting for. Like I was, I have to be super quiet, you know, like everyone's like, dude, what's up with Ronaldo? And I'm like, I just have to be quiet for a minute longer <laughs> and to get like, the, that's a yes. That's a, that's a almost yes. But when I need that, like a hard yes. And so that was really what it was, was to get everybody to say the hard yes that I needed, you know, both for the money, for the printing, for everything. So, and now it's just let them do their job. And that's what we're going to be waiting for now is let them do it. So That sounds excellent. I mean, you've had reprints, I think, of Tank Art 3 recently mm -hmm. and some other things that have already hit the orders in the stores. And then yeah. on your new uh, email blast, it looks like you've got some releases coming this summer as well. You want to talk about it? It's those? all the stuff that's, yeah, I'm not, and that's funny, the funny thing, it's literally just getting caught up with the new releases I announced literally, like, I think like late 2017 when I was trying to like launch all this stuff. And that was kind of the, like what I'm doing now. And I have to remind myself that that was when I did that was to do in like Asia to go over there and do all this manufacturing to get all, all done. And then it was just like a landmine, you know, where I just everything I stepped on, it just blew up in my face and it didn't work. And, you know, I had to kind of learn or relearn a lot of stuff. And that what happens is I'm not the model builder, you know, over here, this guy. And so like, I'm not doing this stuff. And so everything like just fell way behind. And so now it's re-implementing that process and it's the same plan, same goal. So, but you know, for RSP, like I've never had four tank arts on sale at one time. It's always been like one or two, then the third one sells out and then I print another one. I'm always like rotating. 
So as a company, the money wise, like you go up and then you go way down hard and so you go way back up. And it's like, no, no, I just, I just want smooth sailing, dude. Like I don't, you know, business side of it at all, just, just level this out to make it all work, you know? And I'm sure Adam and I would probably, you know, when we talk soon, we'll probably have some comments about business and small business and the hobby and, and, and working it out to make this a career successfully so that, so that things can happen, you know, because there's a lot of stuff coming, you know, I mean, this is just, I've just had to be... You know, lips are sealed. NDA with myself is just I don't tell anybody anything anymore just to get this done and then we'll chat. <laughs> so that's kind of the good thing about your structure is if somebody uh, leaks something to the media, you know who to I'll talk know. to. <laughs> I'll, know. Come up for you. I'll know. Yeah, I did that on purpose. I've had I've had my knocks on the bad side of, of, of what, you know, we talk about with, you know, when you tell stuff to other people and people want sneak peeks in this thing. You know, I've had it all go bad for me too. And it's just, that's just life. That's human beings. You know, we're just, it, I don't take it too much in, in a personal way. You know, I really just try to, like I said, I've, I've kind of learned and toughened up, you know, you stay focused, keep the emotions on the, on the low part, you know, get mad off screen. Don't, don't get pissed off on camera or on the internet or whatever. Just yell and scream at the, you know, at the world and then come back. Hey dude, what's up guys? You know, it's cool. And just <laughs> keep it focused. Cause I got a lot to do. You know I mean? It's like, literally there's a lot of books, a lot of stuff to get done, a lot of conversation, a lot of videos to do coming up. And, and I just like, I just want to have a good time with everybody. You know, I think everybody's in the mood to have a good time with this again. You know, I think that's kind of my sense is, is the hobbies. And, and is this not like, I mean, not to complain about COVID, but what's happened to us is now we're captured audiences. We're primed to make yeah. the hobby an important part of cultural society in terms of like what's going on for us as a global kind of conversation. Like it's everywhere dude it's guys are building even girls are coming in it's 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 just it's going crazy especially like with the gundams and stuff i mean that's just a whole side i know we don't talk about a lot but i mean tj i think you're in is it was tj or somebody at the last podcast is into the the sci-fi pretty hard but it's 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 a big deal yeah i think absolutely and and with all the new people coming into the hobby especially younger builders Mm -hmm. i think that's the way they're coming you know they're they're Warhammer figure painters or they're Gundam builders or they're, you know, they're building, yeah, obviously those fantastic Star Wars Bandai kits, you know, those are, those are really good entry points for new, new modelers. And even, even for people coming back into the hobby, I think. Oh yeah. Oh, I get, I get emails almost probably once or twice a week from a guy that, yeah, I haven't built a model in 40 years and I was watching, you know, whatever pocket, whatever. And I'm like, all right, go for it. And I tell him, I, I always say to him, you know, your eyes are going to be a buffet with this stuff. If you've not been around for a while and you come back to this, like just it's it's a buffet type. You know, like, just get a small plate and just nibble it first because it's going to be a little crazy <laughs> when it comes in. And so I know I got this email and I'm sure everyone else did uh, an update from RSP. And in it was a little nugget about videos. And you also just mentioned something briefly about it. So you're going to be making videos now. Big Where time. can we yeah. find these videos? Okay, so I believe if I'm if I'm on my point with this is everything is at Rinaldi Studio for me. So all my socials are at Rinaldi Studio. I think Instagram, Facebook, I believe YouTube channels list. I I have to I put a they do it a little bit differently. Like they're their own company, the YouTube stuff. So I, if I screw that up, I apologize. And we can probably swing back around after the show or put some through. But there'll be a link to that. Um, but it should be at Rinaldi Studio. And right now it just has the header picture up there. I've got some of the, right now I've been spending all my time with the graphics. So YouTube graphics are different than Instagram graphics are different than Facebook graphics, different than print graphics. So I'm getting all my photos lined up. I'm doing all my Jimmy jams to get my stuff, uh, working on the lighting. So from what Scott was mentioning before, where we had talked in, in earlier this year, I was in a smaller unit in this apartment building down the hallway and I've moved into this space here. 
and this is actually a, a functional office for me now. One of the things that I did this move for, even though it's a little bit more money for me, was for the intention of finally making the jump into the digital, into the video digital world of content creating for the purposes of, of scale model building under the Rinaldi Studio Press brand. And then to kind of, a, it'll be a combination of what I feel live streaming. And that'll probably just entail, you know, me working on a project in front of you guys while we're having a chat and then just let guys, you know, do their thing. Uh, it might be similar to kind of the old school F Facebook Q&A that I did. If you guys, that was kind of, yeah. you know, I, that was a, I think we talked about that before. That was kind of a lifeline for me and, and also for the guys because the books were so freaking late and it was a way to keep talking to everybody and a way to keep interacting with everybody. And, and so I think I'll continue that in a form via live streaming. And then what I'll do is I, as I really get up to speed on editing, video editing, video making, oh my gosh, you know, cause what very much like the books, the thing I learned way back when was you need the photos. If you don't take all the photos for the model while you're building the models, like everything, even if you never use them, you got to have them for, for whatever purposes. And it's the same with like, I'm learning with videos. Like I need to film everything and, and go through that motion and, and set myself up. And, but the problem is for me has been the lighting is very different because the camera, the videos cameras shoot differently than D DSLRs for me. And I'm not using my DSLR for videoing, even though eventually I probably, so it's like this whole re-ramping me learning all sorts of technical stuff, which is a challenge and it's cool. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a shot in the kick in the ass. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. So I got to learn a few things and Scott's helped me um, with equipment and some other dudes and some other stuff. So it's a lot of that TJ for me to really get that going. So live streaming to start because it's just fundamentally the easiest to get something going, get the connection to you guys, get everybody involved, get it out there, do the promos, get that branding kind of marketing crap going. And then while, while I'm doing oil paints and hairsprays and all that stuff, we'll do that while we're doing the streams. And then from there, as I kind of cut my teeth with editing is, is to really do the canned edited, you know, RSP branded, you know, videos. And, and then the third element that I really want to do, which is kind of, I'm like, this is, would be the, the, the thing I've really needed because I don't have a big marketing budget. I mean, truth is I'm a little guy, you know, whole thing, but a YouTube video of me talking about the books in terms of like, let's flip to page 50 in this tank art book or this SM book or whatever. And let's talk like, this is what I'm talking about. And then maybe do a little demo with it and then do kind of a quasi book review demo product brand, you know, for RSP to kind of like give me the legs I need to, to and then can that and say, here's a link, guys, go check this out. And guys that are new to the books or whatever, you know, from a business, because it is a business and I have to make money. So, and I don't want to just be doing videos because my pretty face is, you know, for everybody. And I'm like, no, no, that's <laughs> nobody wants to see that. So that's kind of where the, where the initial heading is going to be because what's going to happen is you're going to have four months of me printing books and they're all kind of pretty much ready to go. So now is the time for me to sit here and, and just, just grind it. You know, we're just, it's in the grind mode. It's, you know, football season's coming. This is, this is preseason for me to just get in shape, you know, and get it all done. Cause Martin, you know, if I like talk to Martin, Martin's been doing this for years, dude, he's just, he's way ahead of that curve for me. So like, if I'm going to be like competitive, which is, you know, let's be honest, you know, let's get a little competitive hat on and let's, let's go to, let's go to town with them in a fun way. You know, I mean, it's, it's good. Cause I think that's what elevates everybody. And, you know, I, oh shit, Martin's kicking my ass. I better get going. So stuff like that is important to me, you know, so I stay motivated and focused and, you know, get my skill sets for, for, for YouTube up to, because like I we just mentioned, Facebook to me hasn't really worked out the way I, I had actually hoped it would kind of be for a company like mine. It's a difficult platform I find to use. Instagram has been way easier, even though I've been quiet on it. I, I did my foray through Instagram, but I think YouTube's going to be kind of the conjunction, you know, the final piece of that puzzle 
to really allow me just to be a kind of a small company and I hopefully can grow and get some, get some people to work for me and stuff like that. That's kind of the end game, you know, cause I have to film myself. I don't have an assistant. I don't have anybody helping this guy. just not, I'm going to hold the camera. So you know. <laughs> all that stuff. So yeah, that's kind of Scott helped me with the microphone. I got myself a little camera here. And, and so I, I use the, the iPhone 12 and the reason I bought that, cause I'm an Apple guy, everything's Mac for me. I studied, I was on like an iPhone, uh, I was going to do, I was on an 8, 8 plus. And I got those specifically because, you know, these, these phone companies are really pushing their camera technology. And I was like, I had a Canon, I had a Canon DSLR as a backup video camera. I was going to do like a, like old school kind of late nineties, early 2000s style, like DSLR video with the, with the lens and actually really, but it was really hard to have a tripod and film myself. And I was trying to do all these test shots a couple of years ago and but I needed something kind of really for, for me, how I work. And, and again, when we do the videos, I'll do like a behind the scenes for everybody. Cause that'll be kind of a, like my workbench is hyper simple. It's not like messy. John probably appreciates. I know John's a really clean, neat guy. And I like, I like a clean, empty workbench. You know, I've got like one thing going, but the little phone, I can have like a little holder right in front of me. And this guy can be like right here and it's out of the way. But the camera, the 12 camera for video is really good up close. And that's what I needed. You know, I needed like a 4k, four inch shooting distance, three inch shooting distance uh, for video taking of the hands. Cause I, the thing that kills me, everybody, dude, I saw your video at Belgium or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, the camera's like over here and he's shooting me from 30 yeah. feet away. And you, you can't see a thing. And I knew it going in. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, that's going to be a problem. But I didn't know I was getting filmed. So I'm like, I got off the plane. Like, yeah, you got to give a demo and I'm like, Oh, okay. So those kind of things were like, I, I was like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want dudes to see, I want you to see the tip of those bristles doing their thing, like super high tech, you know, super up close. So I had requirements. For, and that was kind of what I was going to get, like a nice macro, get in there, get tight, you know, a couple inches away. But it's too much equipment in the way, you know, even overhead, because that view is so weird. Like, you know, when you're like straight down. So I'm trying to get like, you know, the POV, learning all the stuff, kids. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm old. So that's kind of where I'm going with all of it. Hopefully it works. We'll see. It might be this week. I'm hoping maybe by like midweek, maybe do like a, like a midday stream, like Wednesday, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, possibly. And just kind of like intro and Hey, and do a quick demo. We'll see. I don't know. I got to start sometime. (laughs) And uh, like Mike said earlier, we'll have uh, links for all that, for all of you guys listening out there to his YouTube channel. and, And you can take a look at it and hopefully by then we'll have a video to check out. There is a TJ in that, in that newsletter that there is a clickable link that does go to the YouTube homepage for that, for my channel. So I think I did put an actual like cut and paste link in there for everybody that did get that newsletter. And I'm actually working with the dude to help me because the contact forms, the CSV forms and the websites for all the, everybody's names and emails and stuff. I've had like three websites and it's kind of a mess. And I've got a, I got a friend of mine who's really good at that. Who's going to collate all the lists for us. And we're going to, I'm going to try to up my email game too. I know I've been really kind of slacking on the newsletter stuff. So. But with everything going on, I think I've got to kind of up my game across the board. So. But yeah, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> was that so, good, Scott? That was great. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I think. I hope it's good. You know, it's good stuff. I'm just having coffee with you guys. I don't really care what's going on. Mike said POV. I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's a collab. It's a POV. Got the subs coming in. You know, subscribe to the channel. Hit that like button, all that stuff, yeah. you know, click this link, whatever you got to do, all that crap, you know, put the links up here, whatever, right? Yeah. Click that follow button. And I, dude, you have to like, so it's so funny. I'm watching YouTube videos of guys how to make YouTube videos because I'm like, how do you get that little button in the corner 
for, you know, like I, and I was watching some, some girl do her little like fitness thing. She's like, okay guys to do your little subscribe button. This so, cause dude, that's the thing with YouTube is like, I like, I didn't really pay attention to be honest with you guys. I was like mm-hmm. the last to get a cell phone and I'm the last to like really pay attention to what's been going on in YouTube. And dude, it's like everything you can just like encyclopedia YouTube and like a video and something will come up that's related to what you're looking for. You're like, holy crap. Like more than just Googling. Yeah. I mean, I changed a spark plug in my on my car mm-hmm. from Googling it or YouTubing <laughs> on it. I mean, it, my master cylinder busted on my old car and I was like, can I fix it? I YouTube the guy fixing the same car in the master cylinder. He's like, you know what? If you don't have this in this, and I was like, yep, I got to take it to the shop because the YouTube dude told me I can't do it in the street. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah. No, it's great. I'm actually, it's, it's been kind of like, there's that, there's always that little bit of fear, you know, like it's a new territory. You're like, okay, shit, can I do this? Do I have the time? You know, I was super scared about the time commitments it was going to bring. It's like, oh my God, it's going to kill me. But I think it was, you know, a lot of us, the, the interviews that I've been doing the last couple of years in particular really got me comfortable on a camera. Don't never like being on camera at all. Hated that. Don't like my voice. The, all that stuff that we all worry about, that stupid bullshit the dudes are like, oh, get, get my, you know, stop, mm. you know, <laughs> but it's, it's okay now. And I'm more comfortable with it. And, and, and the, the other crews I've been talking to have been, you know, everyone's super nice. And that's what's kind of put that spin on it for me is it. I think the times come, I think we're going to see a real strong community develop in the next five, 10 years of what we're all trying to do. And it's going to be pretty cool. It'd be a fun ride. Definitely maximize the technology. You know, we're kind of a worldwide, we seem to be kind of moving away from the magazine sort of base society to a lot more of an online, you know, collaborative type thing. Just like you said with YouTube, you know, you YouTube to fix your car, you YouTube to find out how to oil paint render, you know, it's mm-hmm. the same kind of a thing. Hopefully. Yeah. So Mike, along those lines, you know, in addition to YouTube, there's Patreon as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. It's, uh, so I did, I did a tutoring. Uh, actually, let me back up. I was, I, I was asked to be a judge for an online Gunpla contest recently. And then a couple of the guys reached out to me. Uh, I was judging the weathering cat. It was a clean versus weathered. In, in mm-hmm. the Gunpla community, um, if you guys aren't familiar, it, it was unique to me too. I wasn't aware that this it was a, like a thing. Uh, they actually build non-weathered models like the way the ship guys would do for a museum, like a museum quality, non-dirty. It, it's called the clean build. Mm-hmm. And they had this contest of, of a group of guys versus a group of stuff that we do, the weathered side. And so they asked me to judge that. And a couple of guys reached out to, hey, would you look at my stuff after the show and give me some, you know, we'll do like a video thing. And he said, and the guy even said, like, I, you know, I'll pay you some money for it. And I said, well, you know, you know I tried not to do that. I tried not to go down the tutoring road, but. I did an open session with the guy. His name was Steve and, and uh, he's in Michigan and we had a really good time. And, and it kind of made me think, and this was a little bit ago, right as I was starting to to get this going with the video stuff. And I was like, you know, and I was still on the FaceTime camera on the computer and stuff and using just the AirPods for the mics and stuff. And I said, you know, I should probably look at Patreon harder. I should really, you know, if, if I'm going to put my time and energy into this and, and again, it's a business, you have to stay focused. You know, if you can, you know, monetization is an important element to survival. I mean, let's just be real. I'm paying more important than I was in Los Angeles for 40 years. So it's, you know, times have changed. And I think a, a nice, simple Patreon tiered structure would probably be a smart play late summer, midsummer. And then probably I would even have, I because I've got time, I noticed like if I could give an hour or two to, to an interview or to a, to a tutoring session, I'd probably be willing to kind of take on a bigger hat uh, occasionally, like maybe once or twice a month, a couple of weekends, maybe book guys out in advance if they want to do like an hour or two with me in kind of a, you know, because I think the fitness community does it a lot. You know, mm-hmm. the whole thing, a lot of people do this and like, 
I don't know, you get pulled in all these directions, but because I'm doing it all and it's all the same equipment, it's all right here. I think it would work, John. I think it would kind of just be a smart play, you know, yeah. maybe down the road and, and just keep it low key at first. You know, I got a lot to learn. It's tough, man. I tell you, there's a lot to, the equipment wise is a lot, but yeah, that's something I've, I've definitely given hard thought to. I haven't announced it like formally yet, but I, I just want to make sure everything works on the video side first for me and everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I, I just bring it up because there's a lot of content creators that both have YouTube and Patreon and, and they just give a little bit more on Patreon. Well, Martin's Martin's doing this full time because he, he's yeah. doing all that. So, you know, that's, that's a, that's a very real thing for sure. Yeah. Will does a Patreon where if you sign up for his, uh, his tier every Saturday morning, he just schedules an hour and one, mm-hmm. um, every other one he does for cat because a lot of guys are getting into 3d printing 3D, and so yeah, he's, doing, sure. he's doing fusion 360 tutoring and i jumped on that and it's it's really really great so yeah that's i think that's a terrific idea mike yeah yeah i agree totally the technology that we have for all this stuff is is you know with with amazon to, i mean you can get it in a couple of days you know that even the stuff out of china is, is decent like everything's working really well for this so it's, it's pretty I'm pretty happy with, you know, I can't complain. And I think we're all going to really benefit from it. You know, look at you guys. I mean, you now, this was, this was a phone call last time and now it's a full video yeah. thing and, and yeah. you know, you guys are, are the next level. So, you know, and I'm sure your production values are going to keep going up as you guys grow too, which will be awesome. I made Scott get video cause I want to see his beautiful face. Every time <laughs> <I talk. laughs> so, you know, we talk about, Maybe if I can take the conversation back in a sense where we talk about mm-hmm. the digital age and what we have at our fingertips and what's evolved, but I think there is still a place for print media. Mm-hmm. You know, we had talked yeah. to Adam and one of the things he pushed for is wanted to know, are books still a thing? And mm-hmm. TJ is shaking his head. We have a couple friends, uh, Aaron Cook as well. Like we are, you know, we have a problem when it comes to modeling books. Mm-hmm. I, I think that your tank art series is is a perfect example of quality publication. And I, I'm just going to continue a little bit more and remind, do you do you remember when we first talked, Mike? Do you remember the first time? It's okay to say no. It's okay. It's got to be <laughs> uh, well, it would, I would say it's missing links. It's got to be missing links maybe eight, nine years ago. I know you're, I mean. Missing links, I mean, the, the first time we talked in person was at the Amps Atlanta show. And you said something that kind of okay. stuck with me. Okay. And it's really... It's on a blur, dude. <laughs> I know. Blur. <laughs> but that's a, after the fall of MMIR. So that was a, you know, I had to worry about like if Pat Stanzel and I were going to go to blows and stuff because it was like, it didn't end well. Like it was a was lot of, <laughs> yeah, he was there and I was there and I was like, I was sitting at the bar with Adam and we were having a, I think we we're drinking Corona of all stuff in, in, in Atlanta. I, I do vaguely remember that. What I would say, what is that, John? 2013? Yes, exactly. 2014? Yeah, 2013. I only bring up that conversation because what you said has stuck with me the whole time and really how I judge about buying things and what you said specifically about your tank art series. And it really resonated when you said, I want to create a product where it's of equivalent value if you take someone out on a date or less. And I think that's a great methodology. And your books have kept that pricing structure. So I just want to say, you know, that tidbit you told me, honestly, when I buy a weathering solution or a book, I'm always like, you know what? I won't drink a pint tonight. I can get this instead. <laughs> yeah. It's it's looking at, I've had guys go, especially like at Horn and Hobbies, they were like, dude, your book should be like 65 bucks. And yeah. I'm like, it's, you mean US dollars or Canadian dollars? Because like, what are you talking about? He said, no, no, they need to be US dollars. I'm like, okay. Yeah. A little nudge to you Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave Brown was great up there. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I mean, look at the paper, look at the binding, look at the content. Oh, yeah. We start on the binding. 
Yeah, the, the company out of India, uh, the second tank R3 that I tried to print, the binding was just, a, that's what the delay was. That delay on the binding is what caused the book to show up the week before COVID in March of last year when it should have been in a Christmas delivery. And it, it damn near, that was it for me. Like I was, it was stuck on a boat in the water out there and it was just, nobody was letting anybody into the ports and it was all just like, oh my gosh. But yeah. But yeah, John, the, the price point's really critical. I've had a lot of people tell me the books are too cheap, which is fine. I would I would probably sell into the future as a stable company. And I mean, that is, is we have a dozen books coming that goes off without too many problems and that works. So by Christmas time, everybody's got 12, 14 books to buy. Cool. Go do your thing, guys. Get your stuff going. And then me quietly starts working on new books. Okay, well, what are we going to do with these? And you know how much, because it takes a long time to make a new tank art book or that size of a book. So to the SM book conversation and the, and the technique guide coming in, I mentioned this a little bit is it provides a low price point, lower price point for my company. Gets guys in at $20, $25 around there. And then the, the technique guides are the books that I want to see in every hobby shop because they're going to be the general use for everybody, the basics, if you will. Not not so much from, from like a beginner point of view, but just this is how you airbrush. This is how you deal with pigments. This is how you deal with chipping, like just books that just for anybody. And, and that's just from a product standpoint of, of expansion. You know, what do we do? How do we do it? What, what kind of stuff do I make? So no, it's, 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 what do I do as a company? How do I do this? How do I grow? And, and how do I expand? But I can't sit here and make a tank art book or that five model project book all the time, dude. It's, you guys all know. I mean, oh, yeah. it, and here's, here's the, here's the kicker. And this is, you know, Adam and Martin and Volker and everybody out there, those guys out there all know this too. You're only as good as your last piece, yeah. you know, and I, and I have to respect the fact that you guys as my customers or friends or whatever, you expect a certain level from me. You just do. It's just straight up. Like if I'm a, if I'm an athlete and I go on the field and if I'm not doing my job, you all know it. Mm-hmm. So to that end, I got to make sure what I build is on point, you know, that whole thing. And so that's a whole nother level of, I'm just not skipping through bills. Like I've got to do my thing, you know, all the way through and I got to take the pictures for the books. And then I got to do the, you know, now videos to do. So to that little point too, I'll also be doing the, you won't see what's in the books, me making those in video for the books, if that makes sense. In other words, what you see in the books will be fresh content. You're paying for it. You're going to get it just like Tamiya drops a kid on you now. Like the whole pre-order thing I'm hoping to kind of move away from. And like, I'm not even showing SM4 until SM4 shows up from the printer. Like nobody's seeing the, nobody's seeing nothing until that happens. And that's Mm -hmm. just out of respect everybody that everybody enjoys that moment of Christmas of here it is. And I want that to happen in that particular order because I can use the videos now to kind of say, here's some other stuff I'm working on. That's just maybe never going to be in a book or if it is, it's years away or whatever. And let's just, let's just have a good time. Or it's a demo piece. You know, I've got some old demo models in the closet that, that I actually took around the world and pulled them back out. And so I've got a, I've got a lot to juggle with that kind of conversation of pricing and, and the tiered structure of the products and, but I think the $45 to $50 range is a good sweet spot. Yes, I would like to make more money, but who would? And shipping, you know, the other side of it, not to interrupt you there, sorry. The, the shipping, you got to be careful with how you ship, price your shipping too. Mm-hmm. Man, it's a nut buster if you do it wrong. And I'm, I'm in a mode where labels are hyper expensive right now. Yeah. You know, you uh, post office here in the States have just skyrocketed. Yeah. And I, I ship media, media mail. So one tank art book media mail is about $4 now. It used to be $1.50. Yeah. Um, and then priority mail is like 10 bucks, 12 bucks, you know, and guys won't, you know, if guys are buying a $45 book and $10 shipping, it's 55, 60 bucks now. So, you know, and in Europe, Asia, you know, having a, uh, yeah, I think we started, but I'm working on some solutions for, for globally. It's, it's a big deal because even Canada, John, it's a damn near the same price to Europe now going to Canada. 
Oh, I'm yeah. like, what are you guys doing? Well, they're broke. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. It, there's no relief. There's no, there's no going, we don't go backwards from that. So, yeah. Yeah, especially in the States, it's even, it's awful. Like, since you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. If you ship anything across the Mississippi, you're doubling the price. I mean, it's insane. I mean, I've, I've shipped much. kits, uh, you know, some friends in California where shipping is nearly as much as the kit. I mean, it's upwards of 18 bucks now for shipping a 35th scale. There's tank. no reprieve. Zero. Yeah, I mean, I can I can buffer some out of the price of the book, and I do. We still we cut a little bit out, but yeah, it's a, it's a very tough conversation. It's 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 one of those where, and this kind of is like the putting out the fires, but it's it's shipping always kind of like it's like the ex wife. You get the text from the ex wife, and it's like that's the one text you don't want to have right now. Like I can't, I don't need the shipping problem right now. Like can yeah. you just not bother me with that? <laughs> it's literally what it is. It's like oh, it's good. yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's never good. It's like, oh, right. it never comes. It's never good. <laughs> right. So the question, you know, the question I'm, I'm interested in is, you know, every publication you bring out, I think Tank Art, they all kind of evolve in a certain way. I have the first issue of Tank Art 1. I remember buying it. The gray uh, cover? Yeah, the gray cover. You know, mm-hmm. I don't even think there was a guest writer in it. Uh, that was before yeah, last was. Yeah, I, I did have Yeah, that was Marin Van Gills. It was kind of the general, hey guys, yeah, kind of a thing. So it was like old school, but but I've seen your publication mm-hmm. specifically with each issue of Tank Art Evolve, whether it's going deeper into a specific technique, bringing in a new guest. If you can maybe shed some light on what could we expect in a future Tank Art, and maybe, again, you don't have to share the details, sure. but you know, what are your thoughts on how do you evolve your publications with either yourself or maybe some people from the community? Yeah, for sure. And that's, it's, been a, it's been a little bit of a contentious issue because I kind of treated it a little bit, again, in my background, is like when we buy a car in 2015, the 2017 model of that same car is a little bit different and it's upgraded. And it was kind of that mental thing. And I was like, I knew when the gray covers came out when I did that, it was it was actually under the gun. I had a, a business partner we were working with and, you know, there was the pressures of, you know, you got to do this. There was commitments, there's deadlines. And, mm-hmm. and the artist in me was like, you know, I wanted to do this, this and this. And so when the green covers came in and then I locked in the, so what I did was I locked in a format, John, to what happened was, I think it was when I did the third edition of Tank Art 1, because there was a second one and there was, there was the gray covers and then there was the, the green cover second edition, which was just kind of a restock, but... I wanted to reskin it a little bit because yeah. what I did was, if you guys recall, because this goes to the, the second part of your, your your question is, I had shown briefly covers of other subject matters like mm-hmm. aircraft art, science fiction stuff. And so the colors were going to relate. So the green was military. The blue was aviation. I think yellow was construction. Yep. And I was going to do probably like a gray or a black for, for, for these guys. And so I was developing the company forward, okay, because I, I always knew I wanted to do more than armor. And it's not that I don't like armor, nothing to do with that. It's just I was known for that. So I started with that mm-hmm. as, as just to kind of, you know, tie that in. And then what I was doing was branching in, okay, well, graphically, what do I want to do as a brand as moving forward? So you saw the evolution from the gray covers. And then the first group printing of the, the, the Tank Art 1 and 2 in particular was like the graphics were there, but I was really hustling to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so when I went back and kind of reevaluated my own graphic design work, I wanted the books to breathe a little bit. They seemed a little dense and can, and with the, the black strips on the bottom and the you had the gray strip up top and then the orange box. I, I tried to calm that layer, calm it down and kind of even them out, if you will, as, mm-hmm. as you go. Through, like if you were to really flip open and I could do a video, that was a great topic for a video of like, the evolution of a, of a design work kind of an idea mm-hmm. uh, related to that for our hobby. But 
it was kind of like looking at my at my layouts and going, okay, well, da 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 da. So I, you know, I cleaned up the, the text formatting, like I cleaned it all up. The the numbers on the bottom of the page were cleaned up and just kind of calmed down and just a little bit more breathable because I like the white space, mm-hmm. and I think it allows the readers to really focus in on the topic more and, and not get distracted with pretty girls and, and, and gradated backdrops and stuff like that. And <laughs> like it's it's tank art's a tool. Yeah, don't give me that. I mean, I would if I could, but I'm not. I love that y'all know what I'm talking about too. Uh, you know, I think one of my prime goals is, is, and this is, I think my conversation was with our interview, the first part of this year was, was, it, and I've really honed in on this, this last few months is I really want to take RSP in, in, into like a top tier education role as a publisher. Really want to embrace the fact that, that I'm here. My purpose is to, to teach, to share, mm-hmm. to level the playing field of terminology so that everybody understands what a wash is, what a filter is, all that stuff. Uh, and create a platform that allows people to come in as they as they need to and learn and then go do their thing. And then I'm not telling you how to do a style. I'm not telling you what to buy or this. I mean, I can help, but that's not what my purpose is. So, and then really be kind of a voice of like, in, because when we talk, like we're all here for model building. So let's talk about shipping and like, what does that mean? And what is it about and, and how to do it? And what are the forms to, to create that? And, and how do we, you know, what are the ways to do those? And okay, this way does this way. This way does this way. And I want to have just a format that just boom, cuts right through real simple, clear. So the tank art thing in there was kind of calming that layout down for that purpose so that the writing goes easier. So what I do, and a lot of guys, John, I know you've published and so you understand a lot of guys, when you send out contributor work, you type it in a word doc and it gets edited and you drop it in the layout. And then the dudes do the little Jimmy jam and mix it all up. And that's how it always was done. I hate it. I hated it from day one because you can't get across at times when you're in a mode uh, in that section of the model to really get going, what was what I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And tank art falls into that trap where the, the white, uh, the, the black wording on the, on the white pages goes through as a story and, but it doesn't always correlate to what's on the page and the orange boxes do much more concisely. Mm-hmm. So when I went into SM, you'll look, if you put those two books side by side, when you went into the SM mode, and I actually think SM is, is just, yeah, some guys probably don't like the, the small page size, but it's, it's deceptive. Don't let it fool you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted that writing to happen on the page with what was going on, on the page in terms of the model building mm-hmm. in, in a very one-to-one relationship so that when you're as a reader, what's the maximum value out of that page? Mm-hmm. And that means when the text matches that page and it's that step, it's that moment, that flow of the book, when you read them through like SMO3, when you read that through in SM2, that's the flow I wanted. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do in a tank art book when you've got so many projects and you have to get each into like a 30, 40. It's a giant magazine is what mm-hmm. it is uh, in reality. So the future of tank art uh, will probably continue. I locked in one, two, three, and fours is just kind of contain those and then keep that as is in that format. I think it works. Everybody still pretty much likes it. I mean, there's some obviously some criticisms for some things and I'm fine with that. And mainly it's, it's, it's you read some of it and, and the words on this page and then 20 pages later, that story picks back up. I don't like that part about it, truthfully told. Um, but I don't want to redo Tank Art to be a giant SM book either. I just let them be the, what they are. They're fine. Right. And then introduce the subjects as I was talking about with the different color covers so that that, so that like in five years, I can see, you know, four or five Tank Arts, you know, four or five Aviation Art, four or five Sci-Fi Art, you know, in the color schemes of the, and that, that would be a nice catalog for me to retire off of. Okay, cool. I did my job. And then, but the SM books and the reason for the SM books in particular was, how does Michael Rinaldi, the model builder, make product published material on a regular basis? And that was always the end game of that. 
Secondary was shipping, was what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, an SM book is about eight ounces, which is half a pound. And I forget how many grams that is uh, for the metric dudes. But it's really cheap to ship in comparative terms, mm-hmm. um, and especially in bulk. I can ship hundreds of SM books for, for a third the price of, of, of bulk shipping tank art. So that's important for my wholesale accounts. You know, if I got to sell stuff to, to Asia, to Australia, New Zealand, even cross board Canada and Mexico and South America, you know, the weight of a book is. is it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so SM books were designed for two main purposes. One was to allow me to build a model, get it done, cover it, produce it, publish it, get it out there, make money from it while I make the bigger stuff. And then it's a little bit on, on it's a nice price point for guys to, to, to jump into. It's a good entry point. But truth is, when you read the SM books deep and you read them a few times, you realize I think the coverage you get at 130 pages for one model to me was like that open. That was like the like, oh, shit, why wasn't I doing this from the start? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of guys, I think, um, you, I don't know if anybody really knows him. I don't know him personally too well, but Adam O'Brien in Australia, who's an outstanding model, a model builder himself. He works for Parker, David Parker and his AFE modeler and air modeler and stuff. He wrote to me, he said, that's, that's the best format we've seen yet, your SM books. And that was kind of a validation from a guy who I respect that and say, okay, he's read a lot of publications. He's, he writes contributing stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, the truth is, you know, so when I'm in the computer, what you guys now understand is I will build that step for a couple of days, take all my pictures, edit them, and then I will make those pages in the book at that moment in time. And then I'll sit back down, model, build, do it again and do that until the book's done. Mm-hmm. So I don't build the model and photograph it, then go back and write about it, write it back about it, drop it in the layouts and match all the. I do it one to one now, one to one. And that's why my workbench is set up the way it is and the photos and da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Mike, in that vein, um, what approach are you going to take on the on the TG books? More like a, more like a military weapons manual kind of an idea. I, that's why the covers are kind of looking like that. I wanted kind of a I wanted to pull in kind of that 50s, 60s U.S. Army industrial vibe of how to teach something. It was just what I don't know. I've got you know I was I served way back when, but you know I've got a like I've got my old M16. It's a little tiny little manual, and it's got this little cover, and it's like how to do. And I was like, that's super cool. Like imagine doing that with like hairspray, you know, and not so much the black and white line drawings, but just kind of that that vibe of I really want that graphic element to be. Well, I should I should back up a little. I do need to tickle the designer in me. Does that make sense? Because like I can get going on the scale modeling and find and, and I'm obviously super chatty because I haven't shut up yet, but. <laughs> You know, the graphic designer in me also needs a challenge because I just don't want to like, you know, that's also what my background is. And so the TG books were kind of a fresh look for me, you know, to kind of play with and work on. And, and there's a couple cover iterations, but the ones that are up there now, that kind of solid cover. And then there's paper, this company that makes this, this colored paper that is kind of like, you know, I can, I can just pick the color stock and slap some black ink down and they're super cheap to print. But they got kind of a cool, you know, manual vibe, you know, car manual, military manual vibe to them. And that kind of like. Do you just like that shit? So I'm like, all right. It's kind of like the antithesis of, of putting the girls in the bin. So, <laughs> going the other way, you know. But that's kind of what it was. I really wanted to be real cut and dry. You know, they don't need to be very long. Then they, they may be 64 to 90 pages long, and just kind of covering. You're just looking at the tip of the iceberg for those, and I and I have to really kind of work that out. That'll probably be like my 2022. 20, the bulk of what I really do is is new technique guides and, and stuff like that. So. But new tank art stuff, yeah. No, I mean, I know we're all armor guys here, um, for sure. Uh, the closet's full of stuff. There's about 50, just so you guys know, there's about 50 models pre-built, ready to paint, uh, covering all subjects. I could probably do four redo full new tank arts if I wanted to, if I was just, like if somebody just paid me to do tank art, like I could just sit here and do them. I could, I've got enough material for four solid books of, you know, probably two more German and a full allied and then a full modern. Mm-hmm. 
I'm probably going to do as maybe just a little cat out of the bag, probably like, like a, I don't want to call it the 1946, but maybe a what if book as well. I've got enough, you know, the, the whole, that whole E100 bullshit. <laughs> so those two models are, are, up, are up in the, I don't want to say two models. Uh, the, the original one's up there and I've stripped it down. I've rebuilt it. The original E100 I made, the, the very, very first one. I remember um, that from Missing Links. That's what I, that's what all, all starts from. I'm going to probably do a special book on it, to be honest with you guys. I think what I'll do is, is probably sit down with the E100. I've got the model collect who were, uh, they were a very kind company when they produced their 72nd scale version that they, the guy, re- he's, he's a super nice guy, Chinese guy. I forget his name now, but he's a really nice gentleman who runs model collect, which is actually an independent car- company. Um, hmm. Unlike Trumper who, who uses some chairs, factories and stuff, fire departments going by. But um, Model Collect was really nice. So I've got like the 72nd scale version um, and I've got my original. Then I've got one of the trumpeter kits still left uh, in the stash. And then I've, I've taken one and I've done kind of a round two of my own. And so I might just do a book on that just for my own ego. But just kind of a fun down the road project for sure. I definitely want to just pay tribute to the E100 because it kind of, it made me realize I could probably do something as a, as a business or a career in this, you know, it's, I could actually probably do something with this whole deal. So I remember your two older builds on Missing Links. You had a, what, an E25 and an E10 as well. That's old school mind. Yeah, I looked at those photos the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Missing Links is like uh, the Facebook for professionals where you you, you look back at your party days and you're like, why did I post that picture? And now you're like, I am older and more wiser. Yeah, no, there's some quality stuff there, man. You know, we all, we have to walk before we can run, right? Yeah, I mean, we yeah. have to kind of cut in our teeth on, uh, and I think this is, you know, the history of what we're talking about today, being here today with you guys and just the relatable communities out there, you know, there's a couple starting, the, the starting points to me are the most fascinating stories. And in our armor world, that was Missing Links. And I know World War II Model Maker was part of that too. Yeah. But Missing Links, which is still going with Brett and Hyperscale on the airplane side, I, you know, tons of props and respect for all that. It's where so many of us have started our journey together, you know, going back to say 04, 05. And even I think MIG goes back to probably earlier than that. And a few other guys do. Adam probably does. I still roll through on occasion. I, I think my Tapatalk account is closed or I don't know what it is. When he switched to Tapatalk, I didn't redo the whole thing. So I, I don't I don't post anything because I think I have to redo the whole the whole setup. I don't know. I gave up on it. It's kind of, and that's when Facebook blew up and that's when Instagram came on. And I just, you know. You get pulled a thousand different ways, but it's a good story for a lot of us. There's so many of us that, you know, we all kind of, and they're still out there. I still see a lot of the names. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember him, and, you know. I still go back to the galleries. I mean, there's, I mean, even people's earliest There's some work, work in there. There's oh, some heavy hitters in there. So inspirational. I mean, you know, Rose Williams is another one, you know, Dio guy. Mm-hmm. You don't see him very mm-hmm. much, but like some of his, you know, first stuff is there. You know, we've mentioned oh, yeah. Sam Dwyer Marco before. And, yeah, and, Marco. And, and you and I mean it's just yeah it's I do remember okay when they used to run the bottles on the banner up top mm-hmm. I remember when my first it was probably with the E10 or the, the, the E25 and 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 I like the E20 the E10 to me it was like oh I saw that again I was like oh that was rough because <laughs> it was like a red primer you know what if and it was heavily pre-shaded and it was really dark and black and, and I mean I guess it's okay but yeah I was like do that so but yeah i remember those those days when the, when you're like who's in the gallery today like you go in and check oh look at his new you know that whole thing that was cool stuff man that was the, the shizzle you know? oh yeah alex, alex uh, uh andy andrew dextrous was running it and all that's that stuff that's right so, oh man jim blackwell all those guys yeah the og wire back in the day early days yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh man 
Well, Scott, I mean, I, I can go all day with Mike. You got to cut me <laughs> off. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, keep, thought, I'll know, keep bullshitting. I mean, this is – I like this I shit. See, I thought, John, that we'd actually met in Toronto because when I come – I just assumed that you'd, you'd visited the – it was either IPMS, Torcan, Tony – that's what I thought. Even – I forgot about the AMP show because that was the only one I – I only did that one AMP show. Yeah, I missed your classes up in Toronto because I went to the hobby shop that you were – I same year I went up there and I went in the mm-hmm. hobby shop, you know, Horner Hobbies, and I'm standing there. I'm like, mm-hmm. holy cow, that's – that's Mike Stug three, and it was right before the hobby shop closed. And I oh yeah, they had it on display. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I have it back here. It's in the other shelf, but I have it again. I have that model back actually. Yeah. Nice. And he had your Persian as well. Your one forty eight. Both of them. The Persian. Yeah, and that was that's the reason is Tankart two update. I wanted to update, so I did I updated the AMX thirty in Tankart three. Mm-hmm. So I did a um, part of my uh, technical conversations is with OPR in particular is going back to previous work and, and, and kind of tweaking stuff. And I love that part of model building a little bit. And so I'm, I'm, I'm updating the Persian, which I have, and I have the Stug three, uh, which I don't know what to do with that one just yet. I might, I might go a little crazy with that one actually, but I have it. So, yeah, I mean, that just stuck out to me and that, that was the year that you gave the class up there and I saw your mm-hmm. work and I was like, Holy cow. And then, you know, Dave Brown's an awesome guy took, yeah, we sat in the basement with your Stug and mm-hmm. Pershing there. I remember I was, I was so awestruck too. Like I pulled out my model, I put it next to it. I took a picture of it. I thought it was so cool. I was like, I got my model next to Mike Rinaldi's Stug Three. It was a, and I'll have to share a picture with it for our listeners. Listeners, but you know, I don't know that again. That was the effect you had on me. Certainly, getting back serious and then having the opportunity to talk to you at Amps and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, then crossing paths online. But I hope, I hope we can bump shoulders again. The beer's on me. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like I said, I. I don't know about this year for me personally. Yeah. I've just got a lot on my plate, but it's it's yeah. a rebuild year for me, of course. But I know for sure uh, if World Model Expo happens in, in Europe and Belgium, if that goes off and guys are traveling to Europe, that, that would be a show a lot of people should really put on their radar. Yep, I'm supposed to judge at that one. As far as the U.S. shows, I know IPM, the Vegas guys did write me and say, hey, can you if you're coming to Vegas, yeah. would you mind doing something? And I said, I'm, not, I'm actually not coming this year. So mm-hmm. I haven't done an IPMS national show in a long time. Mm-hmm. I want to say Anaheim is probably my last one. Oh wow, yeah, because that was in that was in my neighborhood at the time. Yeah, that was probably early two thousands. I want to say it goes back a ways. Omaha is twenty twenty two, so maybe maybe we'll see you out in the cornfields. Yeah, possibly Omaha. I don't know who wants to go to Nebraska, but okay. <laughs> they keep picking these cities in the middle of summer. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> who's who's coming up with this? I that's one conversation. I know it's contentious. Is that I think personally, IPM is nationals. They they should pick a side or two. Just just. Just build and stick to it. Oh, Mike, you you bring up a funny story. I'm running for the IPMS <laughs> office that makes those kind of decisions. So I would I would I would say that because all the good shows. I would say this because a lot of the better shows around the world are in the same location all the exactly. time. Exactly, it, it makes a huge difference. It really, really does. You yeah. know, um, I be, I would believe I would be in my I would throw my hat into that side of it. Yeah, guys, if you can pick maybe a West and an East Coast, even if you just yeah. had two, or just kind of Chicago esque or somewhere. That kind of works for everybody and just do it, commit yeah. to it, do it. And I think you'd have a lot of ton of success with it. I think you did a lot more success with it. Yeah. Consistency breeds growth. So yeah, people, does, people like does. what they, what I'm a they big know. believer in that, man. Yeah, definitely. Cause I think this is, and that goes to my early comment too. I think about where we're at as a hobby, as a, as a community, 
you know, I think if IPMS in particular, the U.S. version is is probably at a point where they they're, they're going to self-analyze and, and and can develop and really take some good stuff from other comp other other countries and, and the shows that they do and like even even the Hungarian IPMS oh, show yeah. which is Mosin. That's and that's that conversation of talking to like Gergo who runs at mm-hmm. uh, Sasco over in Hungary. You know, they've got a facility and that facility is just purpose built for being a great model convention show and mm-hmm. it, it's the same spot. Same show, consistent, like you said, and you built, and it's just, it's a fantastic show. And the and town it, it, I hear no participates and everything. Mm-hmm. It's great. And that's, to me, that's the one thing. If, if I'm going to be, if I'm critical of anything of IPMS, US, IPMS uh, USA is, is nobody really comes here from the rest part of the world to compete in terms of that would be, if we could bring that as, as North American, like that element, I would even be willing to throw my hat in the ring as that is like, you know, RSP being participating of that to pull in some of the talent from Japan and Korea mm-hmm. and have that become one of the main travel points in the hobby. Because we always talk about going somewhere else and I'm like, yeah. and I, and IPMS is always bouncing around and whatever. And I'm like, no, if you guys could really, that I think would be a huge win just from my experience of, of bigger shows of, yeah. of, of like guys, if, if people from Europe and Asia would fly to this show, like on a routine as, as a thing, dude, it would be off the chain. Big deal. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. I think one of the things for American modelers, when you go to the big shows, you you miss that diversity of talent. I mean, in Europe, like you said, Shuzuoka, where people from around the world converge in this one area. We were fortunate. We had World Expo in Chicago in 2017, I believe. And it was just a taste of it, where you had all those Mm -hmm. European figure painters that are legit artists that could put their stuff in the Louvre, for crying out loud. Did the Russians come over? And the Russians, there was this one Russian lady figure painter. It it, it was like, I could sit there all day. It's it's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. She's an alien from another planet. Yeah. She does. Yeah. It's crazy. So, I mean, having exposure to that just... It's another side of the hobby that I don't think some people within the IPMS circle have seen uh, because it's truly mind blowing. No, I think that's the future. I think there's a really good argument for what we're doing, you know, technology wise and connecting the dots, especially mm-hmm. like with the video podcasts and YouTube and this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, I don't want and I hate to use the term young blood or fresh blood into IPMS, but, it, you know, there's there's definitely a contingent that have been there a while and they mm-hmm. do things their way. And that's cool. I get it. I, we're all that way. Grouchy old men. It's cool. But it's, you know, it's it's I think there's opportunities for mm-hmm. sure to really. And it doesn't. And another thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be all at once. It could be exactly. you know, one thing here and then one thing here, and then three to five years down the road in 2025, 2030. You know, it's, it's, it's hit that point. That's the goal. And, it, and it's now, you know, like I look at Eindhoven, which is that scale, whatever scale SMC, model challenge, yeah. SMC, that was a nothing show. Mm-hmm. It was just a little tiny weekend show and whatever. And then and now it's, it's hosting World Model Expo because he consistently yeah. ticked all those things you're talking about, John. And you really, I think you've got a good chance to rep, just follow SMC's plan and say, hey, That's Ivan Crocker, right? He's one of the head judges over there, I think. Ivan's one of the big yeah. guys, and then Robert Robert Krombecki runs okay. it, I think, manages it with his wife, Margot. Okay. And then Ivan's a big participant. You know, I think Ivan's out of Malta, I think. Yeah, yeah. He but he comes up in, in the handles. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of for me, what I, I think when we talk about missing shows and, you know, when I think about like your military and uh, Mosin and, and SMC, then IPMS Nationals and then Shizuoka, mm-hmm. that's one, I mean, that's, a, that's a Mecca for me. I've never mm-hmm. been to Japan and I'm dying to get there and do yeah. all that. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I've been to Japan to check the hobby shops, but I need to go to Shizuoka. Nothing but good <laughs> things. Uh, you know, gentleman from Scandinavia, Pierre Olav Lund, is that is that? Yeah, Pierre Pierre Olav. Yeah, he, Pierre he Lund, flies yeah. over all the time, and he brings his yeah. stuff. And it's like just seeing the country contingents there, and the mm-hmm. Japanese and their expression in the hobby too is mm-hmm. I, is incredibly inspirational. It's, it's it's one of the best parts of it, mm-hmm. to be truthful, because then you get to meet the actual you know fellows behind the scenes and have a beer with them or whatever and shoot the shit. And we all know that's the best part. So yeah, exactly, exactly. I miss that more than anything. I got a I got a note from like Spud the other day. You know, John Murphy. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't talked to him for a long time, and and you know, I, I see like Spencer Pollard doing his thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of the like that initial core group of say a couple hundred people that really were involved, and then we would travel and see stuff, and and you know. Cause it was even for me, it was meeting Adam like at the shows. Cause we were one of the few North American guys, mm-hmm. you know, like would sh- travel to some of these places and go. And I know some of the other guys um, like Olaf Kiev, I think went over and lived over there. And yeah. now he's like, has come back and kind of said, Hey, you know, take in, take into heart, like what you learn over there and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, to, to grow and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it was an important, it was a huge part of my journey personally. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember doing stuff and then going to the shows and coming back and going, I'm not good enough. Like having that mental capacity, like, okay, I've, I've got to up my game. Like I'm not yeah. doing it. Yeah. And the tiger one was, was my big one for me of, of redoing it. Well, I remember because the challenges. Yeah. Another old school Mike Rinaldi article that I've read. It's not that old school, but you're, you know, Panzer four <laughs> with 88 and the journey to oh, Euro yeah. and the story mm-hmm. that you told about, you know, how that show influenced me. I still that remember putting that thing down. I go, no, it's over in that, con- <laughs> over in that category. I was like, God damn it. I was so mad. I was so mad. I was like, come on. Because it, it went into the scratch building category and it was a kit bash. I'm like, did yeah. I didn't scratch build? I mean, I did like two things. I'm like, come on. Uh, yeah. It was also Stoff Snyder. Uh, he did the the first Burger Panzer. Not, yep. It was the Burger Panzer with the flat gun on it. There's a little yep. photo of it. I think somebody's got a kit of it now. Yeah, um, Trumpeter or Hobby Boss put it out. But yes, mm-hmm. I have that AFE modeler. Uh, it's incredible. We were on the table side by side. Oh, uh, we were put into that category together. That was the same. We did the same year together where I did my 88 on that. And he did his, his Panther like that. And, and we both looked at each other. And went, <laughs> just <laughs> nothing we could do. But that's show, that's show stories. Those are contest stories for you, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I hope Euro comes back. That was always a dream of mine, you know, starting back in the hobby is going to Euro and maybe winning gold mm-hmm. one day. But I know the show is going. I think it's a – it started, it went to a spring show a couple of years later with a different relatable group of people, slightly yeah. different. Form. Not, it's not the same, I understand, but it's, it was yeah. in the same location. Yeah. I think SMC's taken it over mm-hmm. in terms of Euro's prominence. I guess you get Euro military's prominence. Yeah. Mosin and SMC, those are like the two two places to hit. Well, you still have the regionals. So in my opinion, if, if you look at the, the idea that you, Scott said was was great little point there, that the U.S. is different. That's totally cool. Well, we've got the regionals. Keep the regionals and then have a premier show. And it doesn't even have to be an annual. It could be a, a biannual or even, you know, like w, like World Model Expo where it's a major show on a certain schedule that we all know will happen. And then have the regionals pick up kind of what the nationals were and build your regionals up. So you have like a West regional, a central and an East regional. And then maybe you have those guys come in and say, okay, well, if you've won first at those shows, like you're, you're maybe eligible for a certain category to national, but the national becomes its own Telford, Mosin, SMC, and then build it that way as a consistent location. And this is what it is. And then let your regionals be your, 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 you know, your, your movables or whatever, you know, let the, let the, the, the clubs vie for the regional. Maybe that's a, com- a compromise that works, you know, West of Colorado, these guys, you know, 
do this deal, Colorado, Mississippi, you guys do, and then east of the Mississippi. I don't know. But that, that to me, makes sense of maintaining American kind of our individualism, if you will. We maintain our freedom, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> that whole thing is, yep. so yeah. But that, yeah, no, I, I think these are great conversations because I think more than anything, we're at the beginning of something to me. I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones that this is, it's a new era for scale model building and, and just as a whole. And it's, it's, it's probably going to, I mean, we talked about the golden era a few years ago with all the armor kits popping out and stuff, but now it's the next stage of what's really happening. And this is, this is it's, kind of works it's now. now. I think all, even, even the paint companies have settled down. Like they've, they've got their identities, they've got their products, everything's kind of cool and calm. And there's enough selections for the customers to be, to figure it out. You know, kits are great. Chemicals are great. You know, tools are awesome. So, and, and then now you've got the YouTube and the technology and, and to, to the common apprentice is, is print dead or, you know, Adams and that whole thing. And no, I can tell you right now, print is not dead at all. Not, not in the sense. And that's kind of one of the things that I think magazines are going to struggle a little bit for sure. The, the model magazines, if, if we talk about that for a second is they haven't really changed. And I think they're, they're probably in my opinion, if I'm looking at the editors a little bit, you know, Marcus and Brett and those guys have really kind of uh, even David, I know David took a turn with Ming to kind of settle his, his, his stabilize his company partnership with Ming. You know, developing the magazines out a little bit. Somebody needs to kind of come in and shake it up, something fresh. That's kind of what we tried with Model X a little bit. But book publication for me, honestly, we're okay. I can't make enough of these. The demand is is it constantly outstrips what I can produce, and I'll live with that. I'm totally. That's a good place. If I'm going to be in a, a bad spot, that's a pretty good bad spot to be in. So just figure out production. And I know the other good books that are out there. I know from the Spanish guys in particular. You know, Vallejo, AK, and Ammo. You know, I don't I don't read them too much, but. I know the work's good quality. I know the people that they employ and everything. And it, I think everything's kind of stable with them, you know, so to speak. I think AK's got new headquarters that look pretty snazzy. So, you know, these companies are doing well, which is, I think it's good. You know, I mean, good or bad, you know, whether anybody likes them or not. And, and you know, I'm, the reality is for, for a small company like me is, you know, I'm probably going to, you know, be forced into partnerships down the road with certain things to, to continue my path, you know, and have my freedom, you know, because modeling's freedom. But yeah, I kind of want to make sure that, that that I'm settled in as as kind of what RSP is, and then you know what these other companies are, and, and I don't mind the competition in terms of you know friendly competition per se. I, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting journey, my friends. Oh my gosh, going back, to the, I think about missing links and all that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I think at the end of the day, you just said it there. It's it you know for you, it's a business. I mean, you you mm-hmm. need to make decisions that you know, a right for yourself, you know, your livelihood uh, and, and the business but itself. But also for the customers too. Yeah, I, do customer, want, yeah. I do want to do the customers the right thing. It's, 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 a, it's kept me up at night. I'm like, shit, man, what do I do with this? Cause this is, it's gotten to the point where sometimes I'm like, if something doesn't happen soon, this is going to turn really, really bad. You know, you try to put out fires on the internet, you know, cause they do come up and, and I know Scott, you've been generous with, with helping me have a voice with that, but it's, it's just been the things that, that, that I have to take a, you know, a little, little CBD at night just to sleep for eight hours to make sure I'm fresh is those are the things I worry about are the customers. Because you hear it. There's, you know, guys will write me emails and some guys will write me emails that are not, not very nice. Like, you don't talk to your mom that way, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, which is fair. You know, we pay money for this stuff. So it's there's the harsh reality of being in business and what that means. And, and I've had to toughen up a little bit. But yeah, it's... Uh, well, you've you, I think the reality, Mike, is your customers are more than casual customer, you know, you've got fans and, and fan is short for fanatic. And I think the reason people get so upset is people really love your product. So when you 
tell them, you know, hey, I've got a book coming and they don't get it, they get upset. So yeah, oh yeah. it's not always fun, but it's, I, I think- You can see the transgression to, of what I say yeah. now too. Oh, oh, yeah. you oh know, yeah. You know, given hard, uh, <laughs> I have so many people constantly, when's this coming? Like, dude, I don't answer that question. I just literally don't answer that question. <laughs> Until that book is like on the truck and, and Joe is closed the door and he signs it off and he takes a picture and sends it to me. I, I did stuff. Hardest thing is to is yeah. to is to really manage the customer expectations of when this is all happening and to be kicked off the the train when you know stuff goes wrong. It's yeah, I can still remember the. It, it took me about a week to process when 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 I got the prototype from China and the, and the prototype was wrong of Tankard three in twenty nineteen early twenty nineteen. And I remember looking at this going, this is this is going to get really bad. It's going to get ugly. And so I had to say, dude, this is it's so much wrong. I sent it back and they go, we've already printed it. What do you mean you already printed? And it was just, I can remember that I took like a week, like I couldn't even do anything. <laughs> it's like, so yeah, there's some stuff in there was like, I should do a book on just the background of like all of that because it's, it's that's really uncomfortable. And the, the, the shittiest part is the scale model building stopped. And that's the best part of all of this. Yeah. Like it's to remember that it's the kits, the models and, and everything. It's, it's all this stuff. And, you know, there's so much to do with it. And I wasn't able to even function. It was, it was pretty rough. So taking on the chin, but you know, you live and learn, right? It's exciting <laughs> to see the other side of the corner coming into focus yeah, for you. So yeah, that'll be good times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us again. And uh, hopefully we'll be uh, doing this again uh, sooner rather than later. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, 2021's uh, been exciting for a lot of reasons. We're all excited to move past the pandemic, mm. but it's it's awesome to see new books uh, being delivered and uh, can't wait for the YouTube videos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll probably you'll probably those of you get in the newsletters and stuff. The, the the I think there'll be probably be one more round uh, this week, and then focus more on what TJ was saying. A little snippet of YouTube, it'll probably turn into a major snippet of just talking about that, and then confirmation of the book publication. You know, the, the updated schedule for that, and then from there, uh, just cruising through the summer, and then we're gonna have another huge round towards August of this of all the another new stuff, all the the TG books and and the, and, and those things coming and SM five and six. And then there is some new books coming that I just have not talked about yet, but there is two. I'm hoping if it goes smoothly, there'll be two brand new titles, uh, hopefully released before Christmas, uh, or at least at the printer by Christmas time. That's not being announced just yet. So we're, you know, if this all goes well and everything goes well, I should be kind of back to just kind of a normal, you know, Jimmy Jam, just doing my thing and everybody's happy and cool. And we're just, we're just having a good time. So I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is. We'll take take care, Mike, and thanks again. Great. Thank you, guys. Great being here. Well, as always, that was great to talk to Mike Rinaldi. But moving from one interview to another one, Here's our latest installment of the Modeler's Minute with Kevin Kelly. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in today. We are very fortunate to have Kevin Kelly, a friend of the podcast, join us for our Modeler's Moment. How are you today, Kevin? I'm well, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. I also have along with me today, TJ. Hey, how you doing? 
as I mentioned, he's a friend of the podcast, friend of mine that I've known for a while in the local area. You know, with that, Kevin, tell us, you know, how you discovered the hobby. I, I discovered the hobby through my dad, actually, and I was trying to think about what year it might be. And, and I had to been about four or five years old, so it was probably like around 1968, 69-ish. You know, my dad was an Air Force reservist. He only, he, he did a, a just a very short stint. And I don't know if that developed his love of aircraft and love of aviation and pretty much all things military. But we were both 12 o'clock high junkies every Sunday morning. We would uh, watch 12 o'clock high at 12 noon on Channel 43 <laughs> in Cleveland area here. Afterwards, I, I distinctly remember uh, he was building, it was probably the old Lindbergh weird scale kit, the old Lindbergh B-17. And I Box scale, it, right? Yeah, right. Box scale completely. And I think I, I was going to get one at Hobby Lobby. I saw one, they think they still make it just for yes. nostalgia, but I haven't uh, seen fit to torture myself yet. He was building that on the kitchen table, you know, newspaper on the kitchen table. And I thought it was the slickest thing in the world because it came in green plastic and the landing gear went up and down and he painted the uh, the bottom with some poly S paints. The top was green and the bottom was blue. And I thought that was just like awesome in my uh, five-year-old self. We just kind of built models a little bit here and there. The, the first time we actually really got serious about it was when we attended the uh, Cleveland Model Show. And that was at, being held at one of our local shopping malls at the time. And we got hooked up with some guys from the IPMS Western Reserve chapter in Cleveland here. There's two two chapters, John Glenn and Western Reserve. They invited us to a meeting and then it, it went from there for, for several years. I was uh, a junior member. Eventually, one of the the president at that time was Andy Vidra, and he asked me to be the junior vice president, which really had no actual responsibilities other than to try and encourage the juniors that were in the club to participate more. Then I lost the, lost the hobby a little bit. I, I, it wasn't actually due to uh, cars and cars and girls. I built models for my high school years all the way up until I ended up getting a job as a police officer later on in life, and then that kind of consumed me for about 33 years. And I, I, uh, at the end of my career, I just started getting back into it actually through some social media and that got me interested in some friends. When was that time you got back into it? I got back into modeling about four years ago. One of my duties on the police department was to um, interact with the public and, and, and a lot of community outreach. I was the assistant chief at the time. And so I was able to go on Facebook and we had a lot of community groups. So I was able to get to a lot more people through social media on Facebook and our local community groups. One of the fellows on one of the community groups messaged me back and forth. We somehow started getting talked about hobbies and he builds fire trucks. He built John Griffin. He builds fire, fire trucks and some other models and he's got some disabilities. He doesn't get out of the house and that, but he ended up putting me in Darren's group, Grumpy Scale Modelers. Right around the first of the year, they were having a group build, an out-of-the-box build. I, for some reason, thought maybe I should try that with some of the stuff. I didn't have a stash left except for about three models. I had, uh, and one of which was an old 72nd scale Hasegawa Focke-Wolf, which I kept because I remember when I built it, it was such a good kit. I ended up building that kit and about halfway through, it ended up being one of the, you know, the weekly cover pictures, you know, model of the week type of thing. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Modeling in social media was completely a new thing for me. I was like, wow, this is a whole new, whole new world to this. And I started getting back into it due to work. I was having some uh, PTSD issues as well that I really kind of didn't realize at the time after, after going through that at work and with, with your home life, I, I kind of realized that modeling really, really helped control some some issues with with that not 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 solely you know you still have to get professional help in that as well but uh, the modeling really and it still is is a great help today i started getting back into it then kind of like as a fluke and uh, it's really been the rabbit hole since no oh, that's awesome that's that's wonderful to hear and 
especially with social media, you know, today, I, I think a lot of people maybe look down on social media, but it has really benefited the hobby in that regard, because that's certainly, I think, how we met first through exchange of yeah. private messages. And then yeah. we had the opportunity to meet, I think, was the first show we met uh, up at Amps in Buffalo. Was that it? No, actually, I met you at the first Cleveland Model Show that I went to, which, which was the probably Cleveland Model Show 22 or something like that, which was, I just posted a, a, a pic on my page again. Uh, that, that Stuart. Stuart that I built, right. Yes. right, right. Now and, I remember, yes. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, I had been kind of seeing you and some of the other people on Facebook that had been posting and everything. It was the first contest that I'd been back to since I've been back in the hobby, 20 plus years. And I entered that just, I, I kind of look at model contests. If I go to a model contest, I want to look at models. I didn't think I was going to be competitive or anything. And it was kind of like a penny ante poker game, just so it makes it interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. So I brought that, set it on the table. I thought I was entering the out-of-the-box category, and I actually entered it in 135th scale, the biggest, you know, turreted vehicles. <laughs> and I ended up coming in second place, surprisingly <laughs> enough. And I was kind of standing by my model in a tizzy because I was unexpecting that. You came over and like, wow, I, I, I judge this category and I really like the paint on this. And and I knew who you were. You didn't know who I was. And I was kind of like, hamana, hamana. John Bellani, he's really good. God. You know, I was kind of, uh, I, I was like, I was a little, um, a little starstruck probably there at the time of that. And, uh, but you know, John, you guys are all just, every, all models, we're all just regular guys in that. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was really, really encouraging to me. And that was the first time we met. Then we messaged back and forth a little yeah. bit. And I saw it at Amson Buffalo, which was my second contest. So, And then we just saw each other a couple of weeks ago at the Bunker Brawl out in yeah, you know, brawl. Middle, of, <laughs> middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. It was great. It was so good to be back and do something. It was so nice. Yeah. Yeah. So for, you know, for TJ and our listeners, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. This one guy hosted a model show out in the middle of nowhere. It didn't have a lot of vendors, you know, it wasn't very prestigious, but we had, I, it's one of the best shows I've been to because of the camaraderie there and the social aspect. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think we spent all morning just kind of BSing and going over each other's models and it was, it was really a good time, almost an expanded club meeting. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Actually, I, I, I build mostly armor now and I, I build aircraft just for, for my, my own pure entertainment. I know that I'm never going to be competitive with, with aircraft, but I still have that love of aviation that won't quit, you know, and I build mm -hmm. to what I call my shelf standard, mm -hmm. which is if they look okay to me on my office shelf, that's all that, the, all that counts. I feel more comfortable usually judging aircraft because of that. So when I was able to judge with you and uh, Dustin Diaz, uh, it was, it was really nice because I got a little bit of a lesson in judging armor that day, mm -hmm. which was the first time I judged armor, which was, I wasn't sure I wanted to, to, to judge armor because I, I kind of am comfortable not knowing what I'm supposed to do, just doing what I like, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I really liked our approach to armor judging at that event too. You know, it wasn't, I, I felt we didn't take it too seriously. And what, what we looked for was rewarding the modeler, not, agree. not detracting them. I thought we focused on, Hey, th he did this well. So that's, you know, deserving of X yeah, as opposed to these errors and pulling it down. So it, it was, it was a great time. As did I. And I, I like that general gold, silver, bronze um, theory of judging better than, and both have their place. And for, for both reasons, better than first, second, third, it just suits, suits me a little bit better. I kind of want to know where I'm at with, with what I did. And um, I kind of just like, like that. It, it, I don't feel like it takes very much longer. And uh, I, I really like an amps when you get, you know, you don't get a whole uh, book report on what your feedback is. You get two or three sentences. Yeah. with the feedback, but I think that that's extremely valuable. 
that's the one thing I've talked to the guys, even on the podcast, you know, at the IPMS nationals, we, we won't see that kind of feedback. Right. Again, sometimes it's a good system. Sometimes it isn't. That's a hot debate. I guess we don't need to go into it. That'll No, sir. It it is. (laughs) It is. I've followed those and enjoyed them. Enjoyed uh, the popcorn as well, but I think there's a place for both of them. And as long as you know what you're, what you're going into and what you're, that's why I like with amps. That's, that's the rules. Just like with IPMS, that's the rules when you enter and that's fine. I want to hit on a on a figure that you mentioned earlier, Andy Vidra, someone that yeah. I had the opportunity to meet when I was super little. I don't remember much, but I, I do remember a few conversations with him. You definitely had more interactions with him. For our listeners, could, could you talk about Andy Vidra and maybe what what he meant to you and, and the hobby for that matter as well? And yeah, Andy, Andy was a World War II vet. He was a POW of the Japanese during World War II, and he he as well as uh, a great many of the members of the Western Reserve Club that took me and my my dad under our wing, their wings uh, were were veterans of everything from World War II up all the way up through Vietnam, which I kind of see as a common theme. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of vets like modeling, right? But he he was was a, a really enthusiastic and passionate about the hobby and, and doing things right. And I think that um, he was influential with a lot of people in Northeast Ohio here, where where I'm from maybe even a little bit towards towards where, where your home club was in, in the Pittsburgh area as well. So um, I, I distinctly remember not only just going to the club meetings and getting just general encouragement, but we would have meetings over at everybody's everybody's house. Uh, and that was our business meeting. You know, my air quotes, you guys can't see them. The business meeting, which was the first Monday of every month. The third Monday, which is still the third Sunday, I'm sorry, the third Sunday of every month, which is the, still our regular meeting day is the club meeting. And the uh, the business meeting was kind of just an excuse to get together and drink beer and BS and and have fun. And Andy, um, he had a lot of memorabilia, as did a lot of the other guys in in his basement. He had an actual ejector seat in his basement. It was inert, didn't have the charge in it and everything. But I remember as a fifteen uh, year old, you know, these guys that that basically kind of let me into their world, sitting in the ejector seat because I was the only one that would fit in it. Believe it or not, those things are <laughs> surprisingly small. <laughs> yeah, drinking beer and and talking to all and listening to war stories from you know, all of Andy's war stories from getting shot down as the last plane that was supposed to be leaving Bataan, getting stuck and put back into the infantry. And he was a left hander, and he uh, he was like, you know, what do you do? You can't shoot the Springfield, so they make you, so they put you in charge of the BAR. He's like, I never shot a BAR in my life. What do you do when you're the BAR guy? You put you on point. I'm an I'm an aircraft mechanic, uh, and he he had some incredibly incredibly moving stories, uh, but just a really good guy. Those, uh, those Monday night meetings were something else. So, so back to modeling, you know, you mentioned you're an armor modeler. What, what are you working on right now? So actually I'm working on, I'm helping my five-year-old grandson with a, uh, a King Tiger tune, tune tank right now. So oh, nice. His armor goes. So he, uh, he cuts, we're, we're working on a couple of, he, he likes to play with them. So they don't usually last. Uh, he cuts the parts out and tries to sand down the sprue gates, and then I'll. He doesn't have enough hand strength, so I'll help stick them together, and then he'll paint that one a little bit later. So I'm working on that. I've been wanting to uh, pull out the Crusader, but I've been looking at TJ's posts, and I've been like kind of awestruck. I don't think I can do that. That hand camel, like like as 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 good as he does. So that hand painted, that was pretty awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I was you. I was looking at that, and that was like, man, what a feathered edge. That was. That came out great. Did you put any purple or anything in that? Or is that just straight black? No. Um, so I used MRP SCC 14 blue black. I've pissed some people off that, that John and I know. Um, 
and I and John, I'm gonna have to call you out on this because he agrees. I'm not the biggest fan of MRP paint for armor. It's it's a great paint. It sprays so nice, and the color selection is fantastic. I love the colors, but they they have no opacity and they take forever. And I am super impatient when it comes to painting, especially base coating, because that's my absolute least favorite part of that and priming. Those are the two things I hate more than anything else in modeling. But over that lighter color, the black just went down so smooth. Yeah, it's a, like a weird, it, it it looks, I don't really see the blue in it, maybe like a little bit, but no, it's just the blue black. And then I lightened it with, um, I think I use Insignia White also by MRP, which is like a, I think it's a Air Force color or a you know, Army Air Corps color that they, you know, I guess for uh, markings. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not an airplane guy, so I'm not really sure. I just happened to, ha- I bought it for an X-Wing uh, project that I did. And uh, yeah, that, that was it. That That's all I did. Yeah. It came out great. It came, Thank it's, you. It's, it's, it's uh, so much that I think I'm going to wait in, until uh, yours cools off a little bit before I do that. <laughs> no, 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 please don't. <laughs> No, let me try it. I that's the sec that's the second freehand camo I've done, and it was blood pressure raising, for sure. Because um, yeah, it, it it was difficult, and there's a lot of areas I don't like. And if you look closely, you can see it. But taken as a whole, I was pretty happy with how how it turned out. But thank you, thank you so much. No, it it looks good. I I, I have a um a diorama I've been kind of pecking away at that uh, I want to do a. Uh, haunted tank diorama with another steward and you know i listened to the last interview with with adam weiler and one of the things that he talks about doing i do a lot of also you know i'm not anywhere obviously anywhere near adam wilder type of building but i sit and look at my models and look at what i'm doing and turn them around i have one of those tamiya turntables and i set it up and i'll turn it and look at it and look at it i might spend an hour looking at something and thinking about how to do something then do some work on it for maybe five minutes and that's my night you know uh, i try and get it about an hour a night in at the bench just to make sure i get time in i try and come at it as a, you know i'm not an artist i try and come at it from a more artistic aspect of it and what's going to look good and, and really trying to get into the diorama phase that interests me even just even just a regular static model i feel like i have to put a base on it to make it look a little nicer it just it seems like it's kind of naked now if i have just a model sitting there without one Bases are something that, that Scott keeps pushing me to do, and, and I probably will. I mean, I, I can do them because I, I paint, like, Warhammer stuff, and they all have bases. Right. Like, I understand, like, the theory of how to do it. It's just the way I look at it, like, if I spend weeks or months on a build and I finish it, then I got to extend that build even <laughs> longer before I can, like, take a picture of it and say, hey, it's done. So yeah. I can it can be done, even though right. it's already done. It's like, uh, I just can't do it. I found that if if you just you can make it look really nice, and I'm sure you find that with the Warhammer stuff without a whole ton of effort. But if you want to really make it look nice for me, at least for me, it, it takes a lot of effort. So I would agree with you. I just finished a T34 that really is probably a static model, but I considered it a diorama, and uh, I spent about as much time on that base composing that stinking thing and I, I made like three separate they weren't paint mules they're like base mules i made three separate bases <laughs> trying to get a different <laughs> i'm happy with it i don't know if anybody else is but i spent as much time on that stinking bases i did the the whole kit itself in the first place so i i saw it at the bunker brawl i really liked it that was to me as 48 or to me as 48th or hobby yeah to me, to me as 148th okay. yeah 
going off of that, maybe uh, could you talk about some of your influencers for the hobby and, and even maybe back when you started to, you know, when you first got in the hobby and then and how it's evolved today. Back in the day, it was absolutely, you know, we didn't, we, we couldn't just pull up even a website to look at everybody, pictures of everybody's models. So it was shows and, and club meetings. And I remember we used to travel a little bit. I, I distinctly remember going to one of the IPMS Roscoe Turner shows, and that was the first time I ever saw Star Wars. That was uh, when Star Wars was released, and there was the theater in walking distance. And when the judging was going on, one of the other younger guys that, that was we weren't judging, we walked across the, the parking lot, watched Star Wars twice. And it was, I was like, wow, this is... That was like, this is, I came back and I was like, the, the thing, you know, uh, me, yeah. <laughs> those were my basic inspirations when I started off. And when I came back, uh, social media really has, has been great. I think that the only thing in back in the day that would have, you know, of course, uh, all of us from, from that age group, Shep Payne, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the monogram series with the, uh, when they would include the, uh, the diorama flyer with all, you know, the B-17. Mm-hmm. I had that B-17 kit, never built it. It I just looked, one. Yeah, 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 oh my gosh, that was awesome. I, I looked at that multiple times. I just, that was one of those things when you're, oh, I got to wait till I get better, you know, before I build this. And I never did. And uh, I think Scott mentioned, you know, what's your plan? What's your plan to get better? Build it. But now with social media, it, it's great. You know, the Adam Wilders, I'm kind of a YouTube-aholic. I really like watching the Micronaldi videos and yep. Dave Brown from Hornet Hobbies. I don't yep. know. Yep. I love those videos. Oh my gosh, that box of the battlefield. And, and I think that the reason I like those the best is the theory behind how they're doing things and the theory behind, you know, you're, you're not just going to grab a paintbrush and a toothpick and start splattering um, spatter marks all over the place. Where are you going to put it? How are you going to put it? With Mike Rinaldi, with his, you know, oil uh, paint rendering and the mapping, when I make a base, I use fish tank rocks. They're like purple and fluorescent orange and everything. Uh, you know, you look at my stuff when it, before I paint the, put the black paint on it, and it's like some, somebody threw up on it. It's really, it's really, <laughs> but then, you know, you get everything harmonized and, you know, whatever looks like it might work good is, is, uh, is what I put on there. So it doesn't matter what color it is. I get a lot of the um, model railroading scenic materials in that. I paint everything because I think that those colors are just too stark most of the time. They're just too bright. It's hard to get them where, where you want them. And you can dry brush a little bit of highlights on some of the grass. I got to get a static grass uh, applicator. That's my next thing. The Dave Brown videos through, is it Barbican. Barbican? Yeah. He's got a great series on bases. And that's one I keep going back to because yep. uh, as you guys alluded to that, that's an area that, you know, I need to up in my game because mm-hmm. and he, he gives a great step-by-step. And like you said, it's, it's not as professional as like a night shift, but it's more casual. And yeah. I can relate to that. It's almost like a conversation where we're sitting at the bench and I'm, I'm watching it at your standard distance. So it's really good. I feel like I learned something from pretty much all, you know, I, I've watched all the standard ones, of course, night shift, that yeah. most recent, that most recent when he made the barn, I was like, I feel like I'm a magician watching somebody doing a sleight of hand trick when he did that thinking, <laughs> the time lapse. Laps, I was like, it was like somebody doing a three card money. I was waiting for him. I was like, what's going to happen next? You know? <laughs> that barn is just, I, I think John, you, you said in one of the group chats, that's the best scale best model video. video you've ever seen. And ever seen. Best. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's up there. Especially, that, that's a, that's a, a step above. I mean, it really is. Right. Yeah. I even think I learned from, you know, I, I when I first started, you know, Andy's hobby, I, is it just oh, his yeah. enthusiasm? Goodness gracious. You know, Andy's, Andy's enthusiasm uh, at the time, he was just 
putting out the videos. And that gave yeah. me a lot of encouragement to try a lot of those different te- techniques. My, my goal when I first started was every time I build a model, I'm going to try something different on it. And yeah. I think it's benefited me. Sometimes it looked great. Sometimes it didn't look great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of self-serious modelers they they won't pass up a chance to like shit on on andy's videos oh yeah yeah yeah. they shouldn't because like the dude just loves what he does i mean there's nothing wrong with that that that's that's why we all do this right like yeah Yeah, he's literally balls out having fun yeah everything he's doing yeah and and you know and he'll freely admit like hey this is what this is what I produce. Like, this is it. This is in this. And he's happy with that. And that's, yeah. that is awesome. Yeah, and yeah. even as, as someone who, who always strives to elevate what they do, I appreciate that. And on top of that, you know, if he builds a kit, he shows you everything he's doing when he builds it and he'll find things that are like, Hey, you should watch out for this. And at building a kit, that's, that's invaluable. If someone else is like, Hey, you know, this one, this one part might be tricky. You might have to do this. Like there's value in that. There's value in everything to begin with. But like that especially was like, okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, I love his videos as well. So much. So when I went to the IPMS nationals in Phoenix, I went over to his shop, met him, super nice guy. I mean, he's just, I don't think he ever gets mad even when building (laughs) like a hobby boss kit for that matter. So I, I, I can't understand how positive he is and it's contagious too. I think that's the biggest thing is that that kind of attitude in the hobby and and in YouTube videos, huge motivator. I mean, people, you know, if people are happy Mm -hmm. doing the hobby, it it rubs off. And I love meeting him in person. I even bought one of his models. I bought uh, one of the half tracks he built super. It was like he sold it to me about the cost of the kid. He's like, yeah, you know, I build so many and, you know, people love them. I'm, I'm willing to share them. And you know, take it home because I, I build, I run out of room and, and if you yeah, can look yeah. at it on your shelf and be inspired, that's the most important thing. So I, I really love that attitude. Uh, like you said, and his videos obviously show other people do that too. So yeah, it's a huge motivator. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, it's nice to see enthusiasm. Again, that's like going back to shows. I, I go to shows because yeah. I like to see models. You know, I don't care if you're, you think your model's good enough or not, bring it. You know, I want to yeah. see it. I bring what I have, even when it's not like, I'm not worried about winning something. If I win something, that'd be, that's great. But I, I want to see models. That's the whole purpose. Of, I, I get a lot of inspiration. It's nice to talk people, meet yeah. new models. It's a great opportunity. It's, I, I kind of look at it, it's a model show. And yeah. part of the model show is a model contest. There's also the vendors yeah. room. There's everything else. The contest is not the the reason for being to the show. It's a yeah. model show, kind of like the old rendezvous type of thing. Yeah. And that's what I've, all the guys that I'm with on the podcast, we're, we're going out to the nationals and, you know, it's like, just bring whatever you got, you know? Yeah. The, the nationals, there are, when they judge, they do judge at a high standard, but still bring your work, throw it on the table. I make sure I can fit. There is no room in my carry on. I just try to pack it full of models. Essentially. There's no wasted space. More models on the table, the more the better. Also, it's any given Sunday. You know, you might think your model's not that great, but again, I, I mean, the example in Cleveland, I, th- I thought your Stewart was awesome. Obviously, it got second place. So I, I think people do are super critical of their work. I know I certainly am. But yeah, it's it's any given Sunday out there. So bring it, have fun. And I've, I've you know, you've probably gotten this as well, where if someone gives you a compliment, that's worth way more than an award because yeah, I'd rather yeah. take it from some, some person that, Hey, it, it, that's really cool. I'd take that over anything because that's the most important. I just like it. You know, if you like it, I like it. I like that. I like looking at that. I, I've told, you know, a lot of times I've seen somebody that I've, I've went back to a model two, three times, whether they won or not. I'm like, man, I, I just like that. I like looking at that. Thanks for bringing it. You know, or I like mm-hmm. looking at that. What did you do? You know, and then they can, I, I like to hear that and uh, maybe learn something as well. So, you know, you never know, you could inspire somebody and probably not even know it. 
because everyone, anyone can inspire anyone. You don't have to be Adam Wilder or right. Martin Kovac to inspire somebody else, right? Like everyone, you started somewhere. So there may be a guy that's his first show and he's really unsure of himself and you put something down on the table and he looks at it and maybe doesn't know who does it. But, you know, six months from now when he's building that same kit, he's like, oh, that one I saw that show, that was cool. I should try to be like that. Or, you know, maybe he took a picture of it with his phone and that's what he uses as a reference. And right. you may think that it your model wasn't great, but there's someone else there that out there that's like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And yeah. you just, that's that's worth more than I think anything anyone could ever give you for, uh, you know, building a model. Yeah, I agree. And just to add to that, you know, we even hit on that with Adam Wilder in the last interview where he's like, you know, I, I just love looking at models. I love going on Facebook and, you know, there, there are guys out there again, but we've talked about here, they're, they're not that, they're not a Rinaldi, but they're bringing ideas and an approach to the hobby. That's really inspirational, whether it's vehicle design or camouflage patterns that it's, it's just purely unique and can draw those inspirations out of people and, and motivations to do something different. Yeah, I actually have so doggone many Facebook pages that I follow, people that I follow, I cannot keep up with. <laughs> you guys are talking about Instagram and Twitter and blah, blah. I got to stick with just Facebook. I can't keep up with, I can't keep up with what uh, the good models that are showing up on, on Facebook. It's hard. It is. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So how much is and, it? And as annoying as it is, like, you know, there's a logarithm working in the background thinking, oh, he wants to see this. Yeah. Right. And so there, there's there's stuff that's probably getting filtered out that is amazing that unless you are specifically looking for it, you may not see it. Right. I, I had um, joined um, just making conversations that model officers mess. I think. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. when you guys did that 48 and 48, I would have been like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even see it because that the logarithm did not pick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I like the, I, I, I really like their podcast a lot. I feel. Oh yeah. James and Malcolm do. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's it makes me giggle because it like <laughs> they just have a, a way about them that is just you know as an American is vastly entertaining to me. It, it, it you know it's like it's like uh, the Monty Python of modeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I I think I commented on their page or somewhere or some at some point in time that like your podcast I listen to and I'm like man I want more their podcast I sit back and I kind of like man that was a really good listen I just I'm very satisfied <laughs> when I'm done it's very very nice and. You know, props to Malcolm for what he does with the guys with with helping helping his models for heroes over there too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, for sure. I know we're thinking of charity things, but next year uh, they they do it again in March. And you know, hey, I'd I'd give you an open invite to join the posse and be on our team for that build. Yeah, that'd be swell. I'd love to. Yeah, that'd if be. If you want to do the forty eight hour build, and you know, certainly I, I'd throw it out to any other people out there that are curious and want to join. Is you know, you can be a member of the posse and you know maybe work towards a great cause. Yeah, I didn't hear about it until I when you guys when you guys covered it, and I was like, "Wow, that was awesome! That was great!" Yeah, and you know, like you said, his cause is great, and and I've often thought, is that something maybe we could do in the future at some point? Uh, you know, not on the level maybe of Models for Heroes, and I know the IPMS does some activities, um, but that that might be an opportunity in the future for for the U.S. modelers to do. Yeah, I think I don't know the VA maybe if they have anything that's for donations and that I. I, it, it's helpful. It's 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 extremely helpful, and it's hard to describe how w- w- it works. I think that you know when you're having kind of like feeling you know, when you're feeling in a little bit of an episode. For me, it's the construction part that works really well, mm-hmm. and and that's one of the reasons why I particularly like model uh, modeling uh, uh, armor because there's no visible seams. Also, 
No, yeah, normally, normally, yeah, normally, normally. Yeah. <laughs> there shouldn't be. Hopefully, yeah. but, but literally, literally, the uh, for me, the assembly portion really kind of grounds me and settles me back down. And following the instructions, which I know as kids we just you know threw them away and then like just slapped it together because you'd done so many of them. But mm-hmm. finding the part, finding the tree, finding the you know, just concentrating on, on doing that really helps get me back grounded with with uh, where I need to be. And it really, really is extremely helpful with, with just kind of like focusing yourself. So it's, it's, I could see how it works for him. So a lot of people get benefit from that. I didn't know it at the time. Why, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like somebody said, Hey, try that. It was just, I had started doing it when I was having uh, some rough times. And later on, I recognized, Hey, this is really something that is working for me. Yeah. So, you know, with that, how many models do you see yourself building a year? What's your what? How prolific are you? So I'm not jumping on any prolific. Oh, well. <laughs> nobody well, is. Although I don't have hashtag, kids, so yeah, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag, yeah, hashtag slammer build is definitely <laughs> <laughs> is is definitely something I aspire to. I'd like to get one a month done. I think I'm probably going to be about oh, one every good. two. I think maybe one every two months. Occasionally, I'll have an armor piece and a. am working on a, a Academy F-15 right now. I kind of mummified it where I was masking it earlier, and uh, I'm going to spray the intakes and the, uh, some of the, the natural metal on it. Once in a while, I'll get two or three. It'll come together all at once in that. But mm-hmm. I, if I get like one done every couple of months, I would be happy. One a month would be my goal. One every couple of months would be great. And the mm-hmm. armor seems like it comes together a little bit easier. I kind of look at it. It's like, that's why... Uh, I was joking when I said all hail to Mia, but they go together easy for a reason. It gets you to be able to finish a model, which is probably a good business model for them. You know, if they, if you only, if you only build one a year, it probably isn't, you know, you know they're probably not going to make as much money off of you. It's a canvas. You know, the, the, the model itself is the canvas. I like to put some additional details in that when you can. I like PE as well. Not as much as Ian maybe, but I like, I, I like PE. But uh, and, and some of the uh, the resin details, but it's just to make it look good eventually when it when it gets there. So it's the canvas and how you work on everything after you get it assembled. You know, the assembly is the therapy, and the uh, painting and the, the the putting together something with the base is the enjoyment aspect of it for me. Yeah, the expression. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, with that comment, next steps in your modeling. What areas do you want to focus on and, and grow? Is it that base work? Is it painting? What What are your thoughts there? I really want to grow in and pulling it all together. And the dioramas, as, as far as having a realistic look to it, but it also look artistic. In addition to modeling videos, I watch a lot of art videos. I, I like impressionism a lot. And, and I would really like to try and have a well-composed, or not a well, I would like to compose dioramas well um, with some artistic principles, you know, with uh, whether it's the law of thirds, gold mean whatever you know to, to make it come together and look have something look really great but you're not really sure why yeah even just on the base you know with a couple of little accessories there yeah you really want to compose it so that it comes together and it's like yeah this is good this this i enjoy looking at it i liked it yeah my goal when somebody when somebody goes up to, to one of my models at a contest or, or or whenever they see it um is to go i, I like that I, I enjoyed looking at that that's my goal when I was driving to work and, and you guys came up with this uh, uh, concept and you're like, our first model is going to be Stanley George. I literally fist pumped on my way. <laughs> I love that guy. He has such a gentle enthusiasm. And yeah. I don't mean like that in a weird way. I mean, because you got to be tough to be gentle, you know. I, I'm just very flattered that you guys would consider me and have uh, 
uh, be interested in what I have to say. So thank you very much. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. You know, Kevin, it all goes back to we want people that love the hobby, that are passionate about it and love to share it. And I think, you know, obviously you check all those boxes and more because that, I think, brings motivation into the hobby. It inspires people. And, and yeah, it just it, it fuels the love for the hobby. And that's the most important thing we're looking to achieve here at the podcast is bring more people together, expand the hobby. Hey, thanks, TJ. It was really nice meeting you. Nice to meet you, too. Won't, won't, be at, won't be at nationals this year. My wife's not ready to go to Vegas. And I'm not going to Vegas without her. So maybe another one at some point. Omaha. I think Omaha is next year. So yeah. maybe Omaha. Yeah, Let's I try. think we'll be all back to normal and we'll be able to do some traveling. And I usually have the summers mostly off, so I can I can work around that. So that's good. Hey, one last thing I did want to hit so we don't forget. Cleveland Model Show. Tell us about it. Yeah, I, I am glad you asked about that. So Cleveland Model Show is, I believe, November 7th this year. It's going to be at Kirtland High School. It is listed in the IPMS USA's uh, upcoming shows as well. I yeah, it's it's a it's a great time. We have a really good raffle. We usually have a pretty decent sized vendor room there. I say we like I have you know a mouse in my pocket. I'm not I'm not the guy that does all this stuff. There's a whole committee that has run this for forever, and uh, I just attend and enjoy and and help out wherever I can. But it's it's a great show. I I'm anticipating like most of the other shows that are coming up this this year, they're going to probably have a lot of subjects that you know backlog of people having built and that. And uh, it's I know you attend it. I know it's a good time uh, if you if you want to show up, like to see as many people come out as possible. Yeah, I know some other friends of ours at the podcast. Aaron Cook from Columbus goes. Hopefully he can drag Ian along. And then certainly we have a huge contingent from Pittsburgh that comes over. So it, I, I do agree. It's it's an awesome show. And I'm pretty sure some of the Canadians come down as well. Now, I don't know what the Forest situation will be like at that time, but I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen Dave Forrest there, who's on the IPMS Barbican videos. And then obviously Harvey Lowe has been there before too. So maybe, maybe we can uh, hopefully see some Canadians. That would be great. There's a, a lot of special categories, best model sharing an NHL team, best century series fighter, best French armor, best topless civilian vehicle. Don't, you know, keep it clean. <laughs> best camouflage ship, best aviator figure, best TV series sci-fi subject, best roaring 20s, and best southern hemisphere subject. So if you're interested in trying to figure out something for, uh, if you're, any of your models fit a category, start building for a special, that's a good time to start now. Sweet. Well, again, Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, anytime. That was fun getting a chance to talk to Kevin. That's the first time I got to speak to him, and I really enjoyed it. Doug, what does our listener feedback look like this week? All right. We're going to start out with one that we missed um, a, a net one episode ago from Tyler Shepard. He wrote in with some great feedback. Hello, longtime listener here. Just wanted to say how amazing this podcast is. Love hearing about what everyone is working on and all the interviews. Have to say one of my favorites was the roundtable discussion about Star Wars modeling. I've started a new Instagram account, Living History with Plastic, to combine my love of scale modeling and World War II reenacting. I just finished my first build, which was the Tamiya M8 Greyhound. P.S. If you're still doing hobby shop shoutouts, Model Cave in downtown Ypsilanti is a must-see if you're ever in the area. 
mom and pop shop and floor to ceiling models with a great selection and great prices. Steve Builds Panzers says, great work with your podcast. I'm two episodes behind, but the interviews are impressive. More valuable than any article in a magazine. Thanks for that, Steve. Really appreciate the comment. Next, we have Bass Slots. And he says, Dear Plastic Posse, thanks for another great podcast. I did hear Chris talking about SMC. Boss writes in and says he was part of the show and knows the master behind the show really well. And he writes, if we're interested, he can drop Robert Crombecky a line to see if he'd be interested in coming on and talking about the show. He also says, I suspect he is a very good guest for your program. Keep continuing the great work and best regards. Thanks, boss. We really appreciate that. And yes, if you wouldn't mind connecting us, that'd be great. And we can set up an interview and learn more about that awesome show that's going on in the Netherlands. Thanks a lot, Bass. That's great feedback. Awesome. All right. Los Kelly is back and says, great podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Just thought I would share my experience of model photography. Whilst I endeavor to shoot whip photos in a simple DIY plastic card stage, on the bench, I'm continually trying to improve my photography on finished projects. For those who don't own a DSLR or a light box, it is possible to get reasonably good shots by making a simple card backdrops and shooting with your phone. What is important is that you get the best lighting setup as you can. A decent camera is worthwhile investment and the knowledge to utilize software such as Photoshop and valuable, but good shots can still be obtained without either. You just need to spend a little time experimenting and he also sent us some pictures of his work as well to demonstrate his method. So thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. All right. James Skiffins from Just Making Conversation said, great episode 22. Really enjoyed the show. Well done, guys, and keep going. Thank you, James. Matt McDougall wrote in to say he enjoyed our basic photography chat and made several excellent suggestions as well. Well worth a look over at our PPP Facebook page. We also had a great number of really great shots and write-ups of people's photo setups. Check those out as well. Some really great setups, some great photographers in the posse. Eric Daglish says, Hey guys, I've just started listening to the posse and I can't tell you how much I love the show. Actually, you can. Tell us. Please tell us. Uh, listening to the podcast while modeling is a revelation. Thanks to Adam Wilder for suggesting it in one of his posts and thank you guys for a great show. Well, thank you, Eric. We really appreciate it. Glad you're here. Dave Paisley writes, it took me three driving trips, I mostly get to listen while driving, to finish the Adam Wilder interview, but it was well worth it. What a fascinating guy. Love the travelogue angle, and even though I'm a 99% airplane guy, all the armor guys have got me buying stuff and figures for a market garden theme. And I loved his take on whether modelers are artists. Of course they can be. If, if someone painting a bowl of fruit is an artist, well then, I'm sure there's still the still life artists have their equivalent of rivet counters too, though. So that's very true. Thank you, Dave. And I think that's it for our feedback this week. Thank you all so much and keep the keep the feedback coming. All right, time for some social media shout outs. What do we have on the on the posse today, DJ? Well, today I thought we could feature um, a YouTube channel that I found uh, not too long ago. Uh, it goes by Matt E Models. And that's where you can find him on YouTube uh, as. And I think he's been around for uh, a couple of years. Where I noticed him is a couple of months ago, he started doing a uh, Churchill build. And he was doing the Mark III AVRE. I call it an Avery. I don't think that's how you actually say it. Which is, uh, that's one of my favorite variants of the of the Churchill. It's the one with the, the big uh, petard mortar of some kind. So yeah, that, that kind of caught my eye. And he's been... He's an armor guy. He's been doing, um, I think recently he's been doing a Tiger One from Dragon, I think. Understand it to be a yeah, pretty good kid. Dragon. Yep. 
Yeah, TJ, that Churchill that you're talking about, that's uh, a really, really great build. I've enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, Matt E., he's been around a while outside of YouTube. I've recognized his builds. He's been published in a lot of magazines and posts quite prolifically on Facebook. He, I mean, he's he's a crazy fast builder. He's like TJ Speed, and he's got really high-quality work too. Yeah, I think when I found his videos, I had, I had recognized a couple of those builds, I think from Facebook too, or maybe Instagram, one of the two. Yeah, I definitely was like, oh, I've seen that before. So yeah, he's got a relatively small channel. You know, I would suggest checking it out. It's got pretty good videos. Um, I liked them. Okay, now we're going to hop over to Facebook. And this was a page that I recently found. Um, and he goes by Camo Tanker um, on Facebook. I think he's on Instagram too because his KV1 looks pretty familiar. Um, I feel like I saw that on Instagram too. John, I think you also like his page over on Facebook. Also an armor guy. And I think his last completed model is the Trumpeter KV-1. And he did a pretty good job on it. I, I really liked it. It's a very busy finish, and but busy in a good way. It's very heavily weathered and did some battle damage on the turret and uh, added stowage and little splashes of color here and there. I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty sharp. I, th- I think it's uh, there's some pretty clear Adam Wilder influence in his work. Also, last year, he finished a Trumpeter KV-2. Do you guys seen that? It has uh, kind of the angular whitewash camouflage on it. That was a really sharp build as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, that is. I'm looking at it right now. That's yeah, what I, like I remember that. his work from. I think that build specifically brought me to his page and made me like it. Yeah, and I've been following him for a while as well, and he he also has done several King Tigers. I think at least three or four. Yeah, you know, different different King Tigers and and variants of King Tigers. He's I think he's a big fan of big tanks. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, he's he, some of his older builds. He's got a Easy Eight weighed down with a bunch of sandbag armor that looks cool, and he's even got. I'm not a Warhammer dude, so TJ will have to tell me what it is, but it looks like he's got some of that on there. Oh yeah. Yeah, the little the little orc. Those are called killicans. Ah. They're essentially like a, a robot suit for an orc to stomp around in. They're ridiculous, like most things. Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So for our Instagram shout out is a guy named Ben Cantor. He goes by at Metal AF Miniatures on Instagram. So I found out about this guy because he was on another podcast called Trapped Under Plastic, which is uh, two miniature painters that host podcasts. They've been around, I think, for about a year. Pretty interesting podcast. I I enjoy listening to. It's one of the one of the handful that I do listen to. They had him on this week's episode as a third guest or like as like a guest host. They were saying that he was a really good painter, so they put a link to his Instagram in the description. So I, I went and checked it out, and holy cow! pretty good painter i think is a little bit of an understatement uh the dude is like ridiculously good uh and he does a lot of uh larger scale figures i i don't know what the scale is maybe 54 millimeter maybe 70 millimeter i'm not exactly sure um and also like warhammer type stuff too but mainly like busts and large scale figures like that are from the waist up i guess his blending is stunning i really like his use of color yeah, you know, he brings a little more color into the palette than some other painters do, and I really like the effects that he gets. Yeah, so he's he, you can tell his style is I don't really know it has an official name, but it's it's kind of what a lot of the best artists are doing right now in miniature painting. It's it's um almost like pointillism. It's it's not, but it's it's very similar where it's and I think we we talked about that with one of our guests. I don't remember if it was 
uh, Christoph or maybe Luther, but like the, the style now is heavily textured paint layers where mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, the high level painters, it was all about as smooth a blend as you can get. And now it's more make these things look real. Mm-hmm. So like real skin has texture to it. So they, that's what they paint. Mm-hmm. And he is a master at that. It's so good. He has a series of, uh, I, I don't know what, what they are. They're women of some kind. Uh, they call, I think they're called the death cult, but they're just like, I, I don't know. And uh, the one with red skin is the one that I like the most. Cause he has the contrasting like turquoise face paint and, and body paint like on her arms. And it just like bounces off of the figure. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. His stuff's amazing. And I'm, um, I'm happy to see that since we talked, he's gotten like 600 more followers so yeah because that's that's the other thing that struck me um he had like 1500 followers on on instagram Mm -hmm. his instagram isn't terribly old i mean he's has less than 100 posts but given his level of work i was shocked like i i don't understand why he doesn't have like twenty thousand followers yeah i'll I'll make a bold claim that he's an artist based on his work he's an artist yeah no yeah that's (laughs) How dare you say something so bold and so controversial? <laughs> uh, now, this dude is like legit. And I, I don't get impressed a whole lot yeah. by miniature painters just because I do a lot of it, but it's not really my love like I, I would with an armor build. But I saw his and that's when I sent it to you guys. I'm like, do you guys need to look at this? What I think is impressive is he seems to be as comfortable painting like a space marine where he's doing armor and metal as he is with skin and skin tones and faces. I mean, it just doesn't seem like he, he has an issue with either one. He's really, really good. And I also think he's a 3D modeler as well. I think he's he's printed some of these busts that he's painted. You know, I, I got to comment too. What I'm most impressed with is, you know, there's a figure, and I, I can share this on our Facebook page so our listeners can see what we're referencing in terms of photography and, and what subjects we're, we're talking about. But he has one. It's a it's a lady standing on what looks like you know a, a guy that works at Gringotts Bank head, you know the tr- kind of a trollish looking guy. But what I'm most impressed with is not only how he you know shifts the gradients and the color itself for blue light to dark, but he's you know he goes from red to blue, and I, I just like going back to the woman you mentioned, red to green. I just speechless. I truly am speechless because it's incredible work, true art in my mind. Yeah. So thanks for those, TJ. The last one, you know, I just added as our wild card. Uh, It's a modeler that I've followed for a while on YouTube. He goes by Shane Smith Scale Models. I believe it's a gentleman out of the UK, fairly younger modeler. So that's always awesome to see. He's been pumping out content, you know, I'm pretty sure extensively um, on YouTube. And it's great. Everything from armor to figures, really high quality production. So give him a look, give him a like uh, or follow. Uh, when you go look him up, it's Ed Smith is spelled with a Y. Uh, good call. Yes. So he is Irish. Oh, well, thank you for correcting me. When, when you brought this guy up, JB, I took a look and I looked at all of his videos. I thought, oh, man, TJ's going to like this guy because he does a range of subject, but there's a lot of olive drab in those videos yeah so i must confess i am extremely familiar with his youtube channel i've been subscribed for a number of years i want to say he did a i can't remember what i found i think i just by googling um when i was when i used to work overnights 
and all I would do is watch YouTube videos. Uh, some of his were what I found. I think I don't remember what I was looking for. I think it was something olive drab of some kind. I think it was either a Sherman or, or something. And I was going to say that you were Googling <laughs> olive drab. Just yeah. admit it, TJ. Yeah. Just yeah. own it. That's probably what I was looking for. Um, oh, you know what? I think it was um, the M3 Lee because I had just got that kit. So I was looking to see if anyone else had done one. And um, he did a review of it. And I think he built, I think he built it. I don't know if he, I don't think he has a video. Oh, he does have a video about it, but that was from only a year ago, but he did a review of it like three years ago. That's where I found him. Yeah. I think he's one of the OGs on YouTube. Uh, you know, him, Panzermeister 36, Evan, of course, a friend of ours and Hem- Hemacro Barkas. They, they were kind of one of the, I think they're part of the original cadre of, of content producers on YouTube for scale modeling. And I'm happy to see he's still pumping out fantastic videos and, and the views are climbing on every, every one. So no, it's good. His Greyhound looks really nice now. I'm excited to see it painted. Well, thanks guys. Uh, thank you, TJ. I, I think this section gets more and more interesting every week. I certainly look forward to it. Some of these you know, content creators are, are truly fantastic and, and I'm happy we can share their work and hopefully get them some more, some more eyes on. So with that, I'll post them on our Facebook page when this episode drops so you can go like, follow, and listen to everything. Uh, With that, now it's time for our episode's main interview segment that Scott and TJ had the pleasure of doing with Christoph Eichhorn, aka Trevarian Miniatures. Christoph is an award-winning miniature painter, and he is passionate about helping others improve their painting techniques. So I'm certainly sad I missed this one, but I've, I've, spoiler alert, I listened to it and it's great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back into another Plastic Posse interview. Today, we are very excited to be speaking with Christopher Eichhorn, also known as Traverian Miniatures, one of the best miniature painters out on YouTube. He's got over 3 million views, over 75,000 subscribers. His work is terrific. Really enjoy watching his videos. Christoph, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, TJ, I noticed that he has cats, so you guys have that in common, too. Everyone loves cats. They're the best. At least everyone should. <laughs> <laughs> in, in addition to kind of what, what we talked about, your huge community that you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, uh, you know, kind of how you got into miniature painting. It seems to be a real passion of yours. Just let us uh, get to know you a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of weird for me because I, I don't really like to talk that much about myself. Kind of weird to have a YouTube channel, but my main goal, having a YouTube channel under this premise, right? But my goal kind of always was to, yeah, just share passion and, and teach other people and um, help them to find their own way in miniature painting and in a creative outlet, I guess. So yeah, that's that's basically the reason why I started a YouTube channel. You've definitely been successful at that. I love your style, like when you critique um, your own builds, but also when you critique builds that people send you, you offer critique in a way that's really constructive and really, really helpful, especially compared to other figure painting videos that I've seen. Yeah, so, I mean, that comes from my other passion. I, I mean, I studied, or I have a degree in teaching, so my uh, my focus there was 
kind of the didactics of, you know, how do people learn and what do you have to do to make people learn? And I think that helps a lot. And just the most singular thing you can do is to think about and, and put yourself in the shoes of someone who is a learner and then just try to help them to reach the next level. And just for that, you have to analyze what, um, what is possible for them uh, with a bit of guidance and where they can, yeah, what they can reach and, and not to just throw whatever you want them to learn at them and just hope that they catch on uh, and then maybe you discourage them. So uh, finding, threading the line, I guess, is something that I enjoy doing. Um, or finding that next step. So it's just a, a natural fit, I think, to do both. That's really powerful, um, taking your passion for teaching and then marrying that with your in incredible talent for painting. Yeah, I mean, let's let's face it, on YouTube, it would be better to, to be an entertainer than a teacher because, I mean, ask 1,000 people if they want to go to school or if they want to go to cinema, and you're going to get <laughs> like 999 to say uh, cinema so but I, I'm just working with what is possible and what I can do and what I want to do well I think you're being pretty humble because I think your videos are really entertaining too I mean I get a get a chuckle out of your editing and and you self-deprecate a little bit as well so <laughs> I think you're pretty entertaining as well thank you I mean obviously it's also a learning thing I basically tried to improve by doing just like I did with miniature painting um, so it's always, I, I try to put research into what the community wants to see and I'll try to improve my gear and so on. So speaking of, of miniature painting, how long have you been painting miniatures? I don't, I don't know if you've talked about that in a video, at least not one that I remember. Yeah. Um, I think I have it in a video somewhere. I think it's the, the one where I go back and uh, look at my first miniature. Uh, it should be in there. It's hard to remember exactly. It blurs together a bit, but I think it sh it should be 19 years now uh, in September ish, something like that. Because I back then I I started. I mean I, I have told the story a couple of times, so I don't know if that is interesting at all. But I started in 2002, I want to say, um, and, and I started with card games, or I visited hobby stores or whatever you want to call them, where you can get collectible card games, um, and I just stumbled on on these collectible figures, Mage Knight figures. And yeah, eventually I started playing the game and then I repainted them because they were pre-painted and they looked kind of crappy to me and I just wanted to get the most out of these sculpts. And so I painted my early armies and from there it just developed into what it is now. Besides, you know, miniature painting for, for games and things like Warhammer, do you paint figures or busts or other subjects? Yeah, so I never, um, so I quit Mage Knight really quickly after that um, because the community kind of collapsed here. Um, but I just kept painting um, and I just tried to find new, better figures. So I, I eventually turned to Warhammer. And then, yeah, I, I never played Warhammer. Uh, so I always was just painting. I guess I, I'm lying. I played Confrontation for like two years, uh, but that's a skirmish system too. And I, but I always, for like 17 years, I exclusively painted. Maybe 16 years, I exclusively painted, and I paint all scales. Yeah, all scales, all subjects. I guess 
not so much historical, but I also have historical busts. Uh, and I'll also sculpt my own figures, have my own little range of busts that I also paint. So yeah, anything I can get my hands on really that is appealing. So you're, you're sculpting. Do you have, you said that you are a teacher, correct? Do you, do you have a background mm-hmm. in art for sculpting? Cause that's, that's to me, it's one thing to paint. It's like to like the next level to sculpt the thing that you're going to paint. No, I don't. I'm, I'm a science teacher and I, I'm self-taught with every creative st- um, thing that I do. And sculpting just was the, the next progression step because eventually I, I was working on painting on these models or painting these models. Um, and eventually I was like, um, maybe I want to redo that pose a tiny bit. So I was re-sculpting the things I bought and eventually I was sculpting like, whole arms um, or another head or something like that. And it just all came together. Eventually, I just wanted to do my own figures because you're still limited, right? When you're painting someone else's figures, you're kind of limited in the creative vision. And eventually, you want to do your own. Uh, It's just the next step of creativity for me. It's actually creating something and not just working with something that someone else already poured a lot of ideas into and you're basically just trying to make his idea more interesting and a little bit of your idea put put a little bit of your idea into that i'm curious does your youtube channel does it drive what you work on or does it fuel your your passion for your hobby or does it sometimes take away from your time at at your bench um so um i think there's two two sides to that uh, if you go really far back, the channel started out, out as a sculpting channel. And I think my first big video was sculpting the Joker boss that I did. And I think I got my first 20,000 subscribers through that. Uh, and it would probably have been smart from a marketing view to pursue the, the sculpting and just do more like mainstream and pop culture sculpts for the channel to get a maximum out of you know, the views and all of that. And you, you see a lot of sculpting channels that just are not really teaching you anything and they're not really particularly good at sculpting. Um, they're just good enough, but they also don't really care to improve. You can see it in the detail work. Um, and they just pump out these pop culture sculpts. And that would have been probably the most profitable route to go with a YouTube channel. But I just wanted to do... I just... With the sculpting, I want to do my own creative uh, creative ideas, and they're not pop culture. So they are what I want to do. So they're not really going to be successful in a YouTube environment. So the hobby is definitely the driving force, your yes. passion for what you do. Exactly. I think that's a good example, yeah. And eventually, I, I, I mean, sculpting is fun and everything, but I just wanted, I just picked up painting again, and then painting took over again, so... the the channel kind of changed into a painting channel that follows that up. Let me ask you this. You've inspired TJ and I. We're both big fans of yours. Who were some of your influences or other artists that you admire, maybe consume some of their content? Yeah, that's a bit of a hard question because it it always leads to me saying I don't consume anyone's content necessarily. And then people call me arrogant and stuff like that. (laughs) But um, it's, I mean... So if we just shrink it down to miniature painters, the thing is that are on YouTube, the thing is I, I 
I have so much time on them and experience that it's kind of hard to learn miniature painting stuff from them. I I always, I don't really have that much time to watch them, but when I do, I mean, the natural thing is to watch them for what they are doing with the cinematics or video videography, how they compose their videos and all of that. I mainly watch them for this, right? Because that's where I can learn a lot from uh, Miniac and Squidmar and Midmintavinis and all of that. They they have a lot, um, yeah, of experience with that on me in turn. <laughs> do you do any quote unquote traditional modeling? Do you ever build aircraft or tanks or anything? Do you have any interest in that? Um, the, if the day had more hours, I would probably do it um, <laughs> because it's. I started doing that like. Uh, 12 year at 12 years old i think i built like 15 airplanes or something like that and one tank yeah i i kind of lost interest and i only picked it up again when i was 20 but then i picked it up with the the figures the miniatures but uh yeah i would definitely do it i mean there's a lot of vehicles in in warhammer and stuff and that would be like a a soft uh, introduction to that again Mm, but yeah, I just don't have the time. Uh, certainly understandable. Yeah, but it's uh, it's really interesting because the techniques differ a bit. And especially my painting style is more, how do you say? So I just like to use acrylics. I don't use that many other products. And it's because that's a fun medium for me to, to work with. And everything I have to, where I have to step out of the way that acrylics handle to me is like a technical paint. Or using the airbrush and stuff like that, it, it becomes less entertaining. But it also means I have to step out of my comfort zone and try something new. So with vehicles, yeah, um, yeah, there's definitely techniques that are different. Maybe not as interesting to me, but that would probably be more of a challenge again. I'm just curious. Um, obviously, you're terrific at brush painting. How much airbrushing do you employ when you're painting your miniatures? Uh, almost nothing. It's I'm of the I think with miniature painting, everything you can do with an airbrush, you can more or less do with a brush. So it doesn't mean that you should not use an airbrush, but to me, I can do most of the things that you can do with an airbrush. With a brush, I want to say at least you know the, the end result it looks really similar. The way to get there is a bit different. Um, but it's just personal preference. It's not like I, I hate airbrushing or I don't like it or whatever. It's, yeah, just to me, it feels, it's more fun to just work with a brush. I mean, I would, yeah, I, there is something to be said about just grabbing your miniature and some paint and a brush and just going to town. So I, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's not so much and people don't believe me because I have won a couple of competitions, but that was more like a byproduct of just me having fun. To me, it's more about the fun in the moment. And when I create these things, that's that's what I do it for. I don't do it necessarily for the recognition or the awards. I was completely gone for a couple of years from <laughs> posting online simply because I wanted to just focus on what is fun to me. Uh, and, and online forums and Facebook groups and all of that have not always been as supportive as they are now. They have been quite toxic for a while. And I just wanted to get out of that and just focus on what is fun, I guess. It's interesting that you brought that up because I also have noticed 
a, a substantial shift towards less toxicity in miniature painting Facebook groups. And I, I think a big part of that, like Vince Fratelli's Facebook group is very much not like that. Um, I've, I haven't been a member of that very long, but the painting motivator paint painters, motivating painters, um, where, mm. you, you know, you can get honest, good, you know, good feedback to get better in a non toxic environment. And, um, I, I, you know, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, especially that group is very honest, um, and it's a good thing. So let's put it that way. You can try to avoid toxicity by just sugarcoating everything. Um, and that's not the the right way either. You want to be able to be honest and not devastate people and also not uh, make people flame each other. So that's pretty important. And I think um, Vince Venturella's group fosters that and that's good. And that's why it's really valuable. You know, speaking of, of critique and positive critique, I really like the videos that you do on your channel where you look at pictures of minis that have been submitted to you for critique. And I really like the way that you approach that. You're very, very good at being very honest, but also being very um, constructive and, and building building people up. And um, even your own videos where you critique your own work, um, some of your, even your award-winning pieces, I think that's really good and shows exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah, so I, I mean... I did not know how people would react to those videos, especially the first one where I talk about my own entries and, and award winners. Um, but I just think you you always have room to improve and to learn as long as you want to. So once you're fine with what you're doing, that's cool too. But if you want to improve, there's always room. Uh, however, that improvement, however you want to define that improvement, you can also define that for yourself. But um, yeah, to me, it's just fun learning new things. But and for that, I also have to be honest with analyzing what I can improve and where there's room. Um, but yeah, they were quite successful. And I did not expect it. I'm going to do it again eventually. The, the other video where I did other people's work, it just goes back to trying to be a good teacher. Because like I said, there, you have to walk, you, you have to find that line. I, first of all, you have to find what they can do next. And you have to point it out and you have to be honest about it because sugarcoating is just not going to make anyone improve. If you're saying, oh, yeah, that's fine. No one's going to to learn anything from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I honestly did not expect it to be that successful and there were quite successful videos. But I guess there is demand for that. And I think a lot of people can learn, you know, looking at the video, they can somewhat see where are they on the spectrum of of this video and that's why i built it up with uh, more basic techniques and more basic paint jobs in the beginning and then gradually the paint jobs getting more uh, complex and just anyone can check where they are in that um scale or what's the word um in the in the process yeah or in just the the spectrum i guess uh, yeah, and then, and then just word. these advices and, you know, it's also nice when, when they get better, they can just forward the video <laughs> and take the next <laughs> advice and, and just actually that's yeah, a good way to look at it. I don't know if that answered any question that was Uh-oh. posed, no, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's fantastic. 
I I love that video. I thought it was great. I've watched it probably a couple times, both of them, uh, both mm-hmm. you uh, talking about your golden demon winners and then helping, you know, critiquing other people's work. One more thing to add maybe was that when I started the golden demon winner video, I had such a, a the way I remembered those entries was really bad. I w- did not have a good view of what standard they had. I thought they were pretty bad, all of them, because they were 10 years and older. And then just looking at them, I kind of realized, okay, it's not not everything was bad. Obviously, there was room to improve, but they were better than I remembered them. So in the beginning, I said, you know, it's going to be an example of everyone started out humble and they're all crap. And then eventually they kind of grew on me again. So my critique was not as harsh as I planned it. But I mean, I don't know what that is teaching or telling, but it, that was just a, a fun thing that, that happened during filming that video. I think it really demonstrated for me because the the pieces were definitely not crap. Um, that's for sure. But I think it demonstrated that through your eyes, you could see the progression in your work because, you know, you're looking at pieces that were recognized by your peers, uh, which is really kind of the, the highest honor any of us can probably hope for other than maybe our own approval, of course. But But I think you're seeing your progression through your own pieces and your eyes today are so much more experienced than your eyes were 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, right? Yeah, definitely. The, the other fun thing was that two of those entries, I took them to a competition in 2019. And like nine years later, they still won an award. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that right there can kind of speak for your, your uh, talent. I think it speaks more for certain things being more traditional and not as progressive as other aspects, like um, some, some other painting competitions. They, they celebrate, mo- celebrate more the creativity and innovative uh, innovation, and others are more yeah, conservative and celebrating uh, the traditional. It's, it's interesting that you said that, because I've, I've noticed in probably the last, I'd say at least five to six years, the not necessarily the level, but but what is being or winning awards if you compare it to what was winning awards fifteen years ago or twenty years ago? It's like a night and day night and day difference, especially now because everything's about ambient occlusion and texture and a lot more weathering in miniatures than when you look at twenty years ago where it was crisp clean you know tight lines with no texture have you i'm assuming you've probably noticed this as well oh yeah definitely i mean the thing is there was just so many people building on each other and just pushing each other during the early 2000s and uh, yeah so the last 20 years definitely that the styles and ideas that developed uh, yeah, just improved so much. And nowadays it's so difficult to win awards because the the standard is just so different. And um, you, you almost got to innovate to win an award these days. You cannot just do what is considered uh, correct. And what's the word? 
like the the standard thing to do um, or a level that you reach and then you can say that's a, an, a complete model. You almost have to innovate, like, I don't know, maybe with the backgrounds uh, built, being built into the figures nowadays where like 10 or just five years ago, you didn't have to do a background and you could still win. Nowadays, if you also add a background to to the whole scene or just create a whole scene around the figure, you almost have to do that to to win. So it's, like I said, innovation has to be a part of the process to to win competitions. And of course, if people can invest that much time, then they will do it. So do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy that innov- innovative part of the of the painting process? Oh, I'm I'm happy that people are doing it. I don't think of myself as an innovator necessarily. I just don't have the time because I mean, I am teaching most of the time and of course you're trying to teach people to be innovative. But at the same time, you just don't have that much time to create yourself. So that's uh, a bit lacking, but I'm super happy that there is people out there that can sit at home for 10 hours per day and just try new things. <laughs> and yeah, It's kind of like if you do any video gaming online, sometimes it feels that way. You know, you hop onto some of these MMO games and it's like the people you play against. It's like, do you do anything besides play this game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the good thing is for a lot of these people, it's a job, right? So they they get paid to be innovative at the same time. So, and, and I think a lot of, speaking about that, a lot of innovation has been achieved through people painting box arts for companies and trying to find ways uh, to create an appealing paint job very fast. So, for example, Sergio Carvo, who is like an industry staple nowadays um, and has a really large following. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm claiming that I have no idea if it was exactly like that. But to me, it looks like he was trying to find a way to paint a lot of box arts in a very small amount of time. And uh, it just tur- turns out uh, he was able to perfect that where he paints like um, opaque layers of paint on top of other layers and then blends it together with the airbrush. That's a really quick way to paint. Obviously, he's super talented, and anything he produces looks like a, a work of art. But his innovation was purely through trying to pump out a lot of box arts and making a living through that. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. We're we're both big fans of Martin Kovac, uh, mm-hmm. Uncle Night Shift. Not sure if you're familiar with his work, but a lot of his recent videos. The techniques that he's employing more and more are based on a need for greater efficiency and being able to accomplish weathering in, in a much quicker and more efficient way. And probably being able to produce videos more regularly, right? I don't know. I would guess so. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, which is a bit of a two-edged sword. I, I have not followed his latest videos. Obviously, I know him and his videos are uh, pretty how to say, um, so he has found his niche or his way to, to produce the videos where it's like, he has this kind of monotone uh, Eastern Europe <laughs> accent and it works pretty good for video, right? So I don't know. It's just he, He's awesome and that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, and, 
and obviously he he's very very talented and knows a lot of stuff and can teach a lot of stuff but at a certain point it becomes mandatory to just produce regular content for youtube otherwise uh, you just don't get the views and don't get the followers and the algorithm and so touching on that are you full-time with youtube or no um no but i'm kind of regretting so I, i'm kind of regretting the last year i mean this is a long story are you sure you want to dive into that i do yeah. i do as a matter of fact <laughs> so I, I i started teaching in 2010 roughly i think 2009 or 2010 and i was teaching for five years but then eventually i um the, the headmaster let me go just um you know that year before he had to or she had to give me regular classes uh, it's that's the way that the austrian school system works so for the first like five years you're basically yeah you have to do everything that they say and if you don't then they can let you go and so on and i'm i will I don't work that well with people that I don't consider being good leaders. <laughs> uh, I kind of let them know whenever I think that was a bad leadership decision because I, I'm just so empathetic with people. I, I just can't stand when they put down people for no reason when I know they put in all the work and stuff like that. And then just out of pure spite, they they put them down or... I don't know, I just can't handle that. And I was talking too much. I was letting her know too much. So she she didn't give me a, a contract, a permanent contract. And then I was looking for work as a teacher for like four years, uh, but it didn't work out. So the, the YouTube videos kind of started out of had just having time and yeah, having time to share my passion, I guess. And then eventually... So at the beginning of the school year, this school year, I got a job and I, I said, yeah, the, the Patreon and the YouTube, it's not really working out. Um, the views were not consistent and um, I just didn't know how to make good videos back then. Um, and also the, the Patreon, so the income, because YouTube obviously back then was no income at all and it's still not. <laughs> I could not do this without the Patreon and it just wasn't over. Uh, and I just said, okay, I'm going back to school and we'll see. I'll just do both uh, at the same time. And um turns out, yeah, that it's it's really exhausting. <laughs> and I'm glad that the school year is over in two months. Um, and I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it now because everything's looking up. Indeed, yeah, if I was like 10 years younger, there would be no doubt in my mind to do it. Right now it's a bit tricky because I mean, I'm not getting younger and it's tricky to, to do YouTube at older ages. And I don't know, I just feel like that. But yeah, I'm going to try now in, in two two months it's over and and then I can focus on making videos 100%. And also pursuing other things again, like workshops, whenever the COVID situation allows it. And I'm, I'm rather positive that it can make it a living. Tell us about your Patreon campaign. So the thing is, I, I have like three jobs right now because obviously I have to do the YouTube videos, which are designed a bit different than the Patreon content for obvious reasons. Because if I just did the teaching thing like I do on Patreon, which is more condensed uh, material, then it that would not get views on YouTube. So they have to be different. Um, and I also have to do a couple of videos per per month. So yeah, I do the, the condensed pure teaching content for Patreon and I do the more entertaining stuff for YouTube. Yeah, and um, both is 
accepted. So I have about half and half, I would say, people that just want to support for the the YouTube content and the other half just wants to go hardcore <laughs> into <laughs> uh, the, the details of, of miniature painting and, and learn. Yeah, I just try to do both because while focusing on one or the other would probably be smarter, but I just want to do both because it both is fun. That's that's the, the idea behind that. So on your Patreon, I'm assuming it's videos, video content. How How is it different? Yeah, how is it different, I guess, is a, a good question. So obviously I'm just one person um, and it's not always the way I want it to be. Um, so if I had to start the Patreon over, I would do it even more like a class, uh, organize it more like a class. But what I try to do is whenever I have something I really want to paint, I make it a step-by-step for that figure. But at the same time, I work topics into it, like color theory or that there's different ways of blending um, to create the gradient and so on. I try to work that into it. And then on my website, I have an index where if I hit a new topic, I just make a new header and then I just put it under there. So it's like an index of topics that are interesting to people and that people want to learn about but it's also organized as a step-by-step for a certain figure well on the youtube it's like uh, i tried to do that thing too where i mean the last time i was doing a photography video where i just tried to teach the people everything they need to know to make good videos i'm sorry good photos of their figures for their instagram for example and then the other day it was how to go to tabletop level quickly, but still in an interesting way and to make, you know, make them stand out a bit from your friend's tabletop standard maybe. And then the next video was about how to go from tabletop to, um, yeah, more showcase painting. So it's it's a bit different. The, the topics are just different. Like I said, on the Patreon, it's more school, university style. And on YouTube, I still try to teach you something, but I try to sneak it in through a bit of fun. <laughs> I want to go back to your mm-hmm. your video on taking photographs. It's actually something that we've been talking a lot about on our podcast because during the pandemic, we all judge some virtual online model contests and and you know photographs obviously are what you're looking at rather than the real mm-hmm. subjects themselves, but I feel like that video is really one of the best I've ever seen. Could you talk about that a little bit and maybe how you developed your photo technique? Uh, first of all, thanks um, for your kind words. The thing is, I always, I said it before, the, the thing is I always want to, I don't want to go out there and talk for an hour about all these settings and what everything does. I just want to give you the tools of being able to you know, watch that video go to your workspace, set it up and just shoot a picture and be like, oh, wow, that worked, right? That's my goal with any video. Of course, I could have made that a 40-minute video where I talk about every little detail, but that's also not my style of working. It's like I I just do what works. Um, and obviously, I, I need to vocalize why it works for my students, but I don't really think about it. Um, I just do what works because I, I learned how to do that. And for most things that I do, I only learn afterwards why I do it. <laughs> but it, it's really important to, to know both why and how. This video, like I said, I just tried to, I, I just learned by doing, 
all the photography skills I have. And I would also say I just know enough to to make what I do work. Uh, it's not like I can go out and, and shoot portraits or landscapes. Well, I, 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 I do that, obviously, because it's fun. But it's not like I'm super advanced <laughs> doing that. It's a great video. And for our listeners, we're going to go ahead and uh, I'll throw a link to that video in the show notes. Uh, you guys can check that out and see what you think. But I really liked it a lot. Thanks. So you kind of mentioned it when you were talking about how for your Patreon, when you start a project, what makes you choose a project? Like if you look at a miniature, what do you need to see to look at it and think, yes, that's going to be good to paint or fun to paint, or I can do X, Y, Z with this? Um, That's a tough question to answer. I guess for, you know, when... Sometimes I look at a miniature and I feel like, okay, that's going to be a good subject for teaching something. Then it automatically becomes interesting to paint. Other than that, it's it's always a very in the, in the second decision uh, whether or not I want to paint something. Uh, I can't put my finger on it, but it kind of has to, I guess, trigger an idea. So if I look at a miniature and it gives me an idea of what to do instantly then I'm going to buy it. If I just find the miniature interesting, but I don't really have an idea, then I'm not going to get it because that means I have to sit down and come up with something and invest a lot of thought into. I like miniatures that just give me an idea instantly. And that's the projects that always turn out the best. So in that video where I critique my Golden Demon winners, that crude collector that has a ton of armor plates and freehands on it, that was an idea I had the second I looked at that model. And those always turn out to be the best uh, and critically acclaimed miniatures, I guess. <laughs> because best is always relative. <laughs> <laughs> I want to expand on a couple of things. But first of all, the pieces that you've painted that you like the best, are they ones where you've had that kind of inspiration moment where you've had an idea and the execution turned out to be really great? Or are they the pieces that maybe surprised you a little bit and you learned something about yourself? Um, I'm not sure if I have a favorite, but it's 100%. The subjects where I had an idea, the thing is, those are usually done within a week or uh, you know, at least a reasonable time frame. And those are the most successful too. The last one was where I placed third in the Ever Chosen competition by Games Workshop. There, I, I just had that idea and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I just sat down and while working, I, I kind of hammered that out in six days and then just entered it into the competition. And it, it's always that spark that drives you and that propels you. And those usually are also the most successful for me. I, I can never, I cannot sit down. I mean, often with competitions, you're like, okay, I know exactly why this piece won. And I could distill that down into my own paint jobs and just try to emulate that um, and try to play a bit towards what the judges might want to see. But that never has worked for me. <laughs> I just always had to have that spark. You know, that I love that video. I've watched it several times where you go and we've mentioned it before where you critique your Golden Demon Award winners. But is there one of those, if you had to pick one, if if someone said you have to pick one, which one would be your favorite? Yeah, I mean, I guess even though it's 
technically not the best one, at least not the most complete one. So the, all the free ends I did for that crude collector, yeah, I'm kind of proud of them and they still hold up. But what does not hold up that much is how I treated the skin of the riding animal and maybe the, the rider. But it's still, you know, having the idea because they collect <laughs> genes, like G-E-N-E, not, uh, not, the, not the pants. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's the pants collector, like some people said. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, I think that's my favorite because the idea was good because they collect. So he also collected some other things like the, these armor plates and trophies. Uh, yeah, it just was well-rounded and works. But I also like my ever-chosen entry. Um, it's it's simpler, but I guess not having that much time and not having too much time to think about it just focuses on all the stuff I learned over the years. And I just tried to put that in there. And it just happened to be working for a photograph because two stages were just judging photographs for them. Um, and then they, they invited the top three and then they yeah, gave the top three rank one through three. Yeah. So everything kind of worked with that. And that just was fun to see too, where everything, how everything came together. When you look at your work that you've done, are you an artist or are you, are you an artisan? Uh, that's always, so it's always a tough question to answer because I feel like that's uh, a partisan thing where a lot of people want to think they're artists, <laughs> but 99.9% .9 of miniature painting is not art, in my opinion. And I don't really consider myself an artist. It's just, to me, it's just a creative outlet. And I guess it depends on how you want to define art. It's, it's up to how you define it, I guess, whether or not I am an artist. But to me, it's just a creative outlet to have fun and to create something. And I don't know if necessarily just having fun creating something qualifies you as an artist. And I don't know if the medium of miniature painting allows for artists to exist. But yeah, it, it's a tough topic to talk about <laughs> because <laughs> there's so many ideas around that. And again, uh, hurt egos sometimes. And yeah, <laughs> but I don't consider myself an artist. To, to give the short answer, at least not with miniature painting. I guess some people could argue that creating a bust or something like that is art. But then again, I, I feel like art has to have a message too. And I don't know if sculpting an undead zombie bust, if whether or not that has a message or not, <laughs> or if it's just, you know, character design. It's an interesting, it's something that we've asked a lot of our guests and, the answers are always more valuable than the question itself, I think, is because, every you know, there's certainly elements of art to it, but everybody has a different perspective on what is art and how where's that line and how much of you bringing yourself into the piece where that line is for everybody of where you cross over from more of a craft or a, a hobby into something more is different for everybody, I think. Yeah, and I guess if there was a clear a corset that you could put art into, then it wouldn't be art. So, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I don't think art would exist if it was if we were able to say exactly what art is. 
So you 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 mentioned earlier you you really don't play uh, Warhammer at all or any of these games with these miniatures. It's just the the hobby part of it that draws you to the subjects. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that for about two years I played a skirmish system called Confronta- Confrontation, which I was drawn to because they at the time had the best miniatures in the world, technique wise and style wise and production wise. I guess uh, I played. That game, because I had a group, I guess, uh, that played it. So to me, it was a social thing. Um, But I I never had a group where I could play Warhammer with. And on top of that, it's it's, I just don't have the time to paint, I don't know, however many miniatures for a game. And on top of that, I don't like to paint fast. Yeah, I guess that's the main (laughs) thing. And and just playing with unpainted miniatures would also not be fun to me. So it, it's just not the right thing for me. There there has always been other things that were more interesting. I just wanted to add, I am I always want to play kill team simply because it would be fun to have to to do a group, a kill team um, that kind of fits together, and uh, you can go you can be creative with um kit bashing and all of that too so that's really interesting that's what i want to do when i have more time again i have a a kind of an interesting question i guess in say like armor modeling which is what scott and i would say we primarily do i guess the upper echelon or the top tier however you want to put it of modelers they they all seem to to know each other and Mm -hmm. a lot of them talk and about what they do and in, in their work in miniature painting. Like I know you've you've talked to Roman and Vince on your YouTube channel. How free well, that's kind of a not the best way to say it, but how free is the exchange of ideas between what I consider I mean, you guys are top level miniature painters. I don't think anyone could really argue that point. Like, do you guys talk about, you know, do you talk shop? Do you I'm assuming you you probably know a lot of these guys at least on friendly terms and obviously not don't I hope no one takes that the wrong way. I'm not, I'm trying to say it the best way that I can. Cause I, I'm just curious as how that the top level of miniature painting is compared to the top level of like other scale modeling that, that we see that like Scott and I are more familiar with. Yeah. So I don't feel super competent to answer that because I was, like I said, uh, retreating from that scene for, a while for different reasons and so i and on top of that i i'm not the most social person uh as in i don't necessarily warm up instantly to very loud characters if that makes sense um so you know and very present uh characters so i was not really drawn to those groups of of miniature painters that were uh, seeking the spotlight so much so that's one thing or one aspect. Um, and again, my, my retreating from that scene for a, a lot of time. I don't know many people personally that are considered super um, great painters these days. I just have my click, I guess, or I, it's even not the right word to say. I just know the people that I resonate with. Uh, Roman, for example, is a good example. Um, because he is also more the the brooding type of painter. 
and then Vince, obviously, he's more talkative than me, but he's we're on the same level when it comes to how uh, teaching and how to approach miniature painting and all of that. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I just have to resonate with the the person next to me. Um, and I didn't have that with a lot of miniature painters back then. And that doesn't say anything about those people, more about me that I just, I just wanted a more personal connection than just having the same hobby. Uh, that was not enough for me to connect with people in that, uh, in that, in that group. <laughs> also, it's, uh, I, I wasn't going to a lot of competitions uh, and, and a lot of people that know each other more personally and more closely know each other because of the competitions. Speaking to that, what's the miniature painting um, community like in Austria? Is it is it strong? Are there a lot of people in your area that do that hobby or not as strong as maybe other hobbies? What's it like? So we have to differentiate here. So there's a lot of people that do the hobby like Warhammer and painter armies and stuff like that. But there's not, I don't know, I'm probably going to butt heads with a few people here, but I just don't know anyone right now that tries to to do like super high level painting. I know a few people through my Patreon, they joined my Patreon and then joined the Discord server that I have. And then I realized, oh, you're from Austria and they try to um, get there. And they have like a friend that also does it. So they sit together in groups of two um, and they work on that and try to push themselves and give feedback uh, to each other and so on. So it's it's like those tiny groups that exist and that I probably don't know about, but they are not really interconnected massively. So to me, a scene or a group does not really exist. Yeah, a scene does not really exist in Austria. But there's a lot of people that obviously paint for the hobby and stuff like that. But yeah, there, there's no connected group of people that try to to push themselves. And it's it's just small groups of a couple of people usually, unfortunately. But it's the way it is. <laughs> so Christoph, as we uh, begin to kind of wrap things up, um, we've talked a lot about some of your, your different areas where you generate content. Where can people see your work? I mean, if you type my name, Traverian, into uh, Google, um, yeah, you just find everything, honestly. I guess, uh, yeah, starting, you can start with my YouTube page and watch the videos. And then if you like it and like my style of, of teaching, then, and you're interested in improving uh, your miniature painting, you can always join the Patreon. Of course, there's no must just watching the, the videos on YouTube is a lot of support. But yeah, um, just start at the YouTube channel, I guess. And, and if you want to see what videos are available, you can go to my website. That's like trovarian.com too. But like I said, if you enter my name into my miniature painter name into Google, you get everything. So, yes. Are you on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? I am on, on all of these platforms. Facebook, Party and Paint. What else? Patreon, YouTube. Is there anything else? I'm probably on it. <laughs> are are you on TikTok? Oh no, I I don't I don't do that. <laughs> I refuse to do that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Christoph. It's been a lot of fun uh, getting to know you and talking about your work. 
tremendously honored to get to speak with you today. Hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it as well, but um, you've been a big inspiration on on me as a non-miniature uh, painter, as I mentioned, and uh, I know uh, TJ is a big fan as well. Well, thanks for having me uh, and for the opportunity to talk about, um, yeah, my nerddom, I guess. Nerdism, <laughs> I don't know the correct English word. Our, our shared love of hobbies. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice way. But yeah, I always feel like I, I have a hard time when people say, uh, you know, big fan and stuff like that. I just, you know, try to, I just try to do what is fun to me. And whenever people like it, that's, that's cool. Um, but I never did it. Like I said, I'm not a big spotlight person. So I have a bit of a hard time, but I accept where uh, I'm proud that people kind of, you know, enjoy what I do. And that's that was my main focus to kind of bring this uh, full circle with what I said in the beginning, what my focus is with the videos. Well, thank you again uh, for joining us. It, it, like I said, it's been an honor and we've really enjoyed it. So take care and uh, hopefully we can talk again uh, sometime down the line. Sure, whenever you, you want to. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. Welcome back, and uh, we would like to thank Christoph for stopping by and for giving us the opportunity to chat with him about uh, miniature painting. It was really awesome. And please be sure to check out his YouTube channel, Traveri Miniatures. All right, and one more reminder that the Plastic Posse podcast is sponsored by TankCraft.com. Nothing can ruin your day or your TankCraft cutting mat more than spilled liquid cement. TankCraft has a solution for you, the glue base. It's milled from solid 6061 green anodized aluminum. This thing will keep your bench top looking smart and spill free for years to come. I've got one of these and I really love it. It's really stable and it looks great. The combination of weight and a sticky rubber pad on the bottom makes them extremely stable. They even come with an optional insert to accommodate most major brands of square and round bottled liquid cement. So pick one up with one of their beautiful Pro Modeler mats and start your next build on a bench to be proud of. Remember, Tank Craft products come with a 30-day warranty, and don't forget the Plastic Posse Podcast exclusive offer. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout for your 15% discount. So head on over to tankcraft.com, that's tankcraft with a K, no WWW, and order your very own tankcraft glue base or cutting mat. It just looks better on your bench. Oh, no, good. I don't, Doug's got the yeehaw. Cool. All right. <laughs> Warm up them vocal cords, Warm it man. Up. Well, thanks for that, Scott. I, I'd just like to personally say thank you to tankcraft.com. I've always admired their products, and I'll be ordering one soon. Uh, lots of choices and definitely need my bench spruced up. So with that, that is about it for episode 23. Thanks so much for listening. We know it was a long one. Just a reminder that you can leave us feedback about this or any other of our episodes over at the Plastic Posse Facebook page, or you can email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. We want to once again thank all of our supporters and the people who have been on for an interview. And we also want to give another shout out to our new sponsor, Tankcraft. It just looks better on your bench and Goodman Models, makers of the awesome Super Sanding Block. All right. Well, partners, thank you and farewell. Yeehaw! Until the next episode. 
Don't don't forget to tune in next time. Episode 24 is coming in two weeks, and we'll be bringing you a lot more Triple P content. did the yeehaw sorry guys i'm only giving I, you I one was, i was waiting for another one i'm i'm a little let down i'm gonna be honest well you know life's disappointing till next <laughs> till next time i guess until next <laughs> doug's gonna live rent free up there i am going to be riding <laughs> off into the sunset fellas